get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Sosa lifts it in the air, out to right, that's trouble, that ball is down. One hop off the wall. A run will score, Molina to third, and Edmundo Sosa makes it 5 nothing. Cardinals. Coming off of uh, a little three-game losing streak, you know, we had to we had to win that game tonight, so, uh, you know, I just tried to go out and do the best I could for the team, you know, put the team in position to win, and we got the W. Cardinals win it last night, 5-2. to two. They get off of the schneid. They were riding a three-game losing streak. That is now over. They were walking way too many batters. Only two walks last night for the Cardinals pitchers. They weren't hitting in runners in scoring position when anybody other than Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt came up to the plate. Last night, you heard it right there, Edmundo Sosa with a big double. And Tommy Edmond gets a knock with runners in scoring position. Everything, Alex, that was plaguing this Cardinals team, you go up against the Pirates, and suddenly things start looking a little bit better for them. Well, that's what happens when you play a uh, AAA baseball team, right? <laughs> that's right. That's what happens they're when not you're not a AAA team. Yeah, well, BK says they're not a real you're baseball team. Right. They team. wouldn't be very good in AAA either. Oh. Got him. Maybe single A ball. Um, uh, they may not be good. Can we, all, can we all just appreciate Mr. 95%, Mr. 100%, who's just making his MVP case that much more stronger? Can we just appreciate the fact that I said 95% he'd be in St. Louis. It happens. I said 100% MVP. Probably going to happen. He's absolutely in contention right now. Yeah. You look around Major League Baseball and you try to find guys that are having better overall seasons than what we've seen thus far. And by the way, of course... Alex Ferrario is talking about Nolan Arenado, who was amazing again last night. He's no had need a home of an run explanation for the Cardinals in four straight games. He's the first Cardinals third baseman to accomplish that since Scott Rowland back in the mid 2000s. He's pretty good. Doesn't Arenado have the best OPS right now? He does not, but he's up there. Because um, I thought they maybe it was a it was a short it was a time frame that they put on Valley Sports in the broadcast. Month of May he does. Maybe that's what it was because Xander Bogarts was right behind him, but Nolan Arenado had one of the best OPSs in that time frame, which is very evident of where this team is at. He's tied right now 
with Nick Castellanos and Chris Bryant and Trey Turner for fourth in all of baseball and wins above replacement this year. Like he, he's been everything we thought he was going to be. And then somehow he's been even better when it comes to what he is doing at the plate right now. I thought there would be a little bit of a drop off from Coors Field. Like, I don't believe in the full Coors effect, but I figured, you know, hey, he hits 40 home runs while he's in Colorado. Maybe he hits 30 while he's here in St. Louis, right? Maybe it's 32, whatever. He's on pace for 40 again. He's on pace for 50 doubles. He's on pace for 115 RBI. He's batting 307 with a 945 OPS. Anything you thought was possible with Nolan Arenado, he's shown you at the plate thus far. It's amazing to watch. It really is. And look, the solution for anybody, you know what Mary Poppins used to say, right? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You I know do, who Mary, know you know Mary Poppins. Thank reference. you. I appreciate that. So the funny thing is, I get the reference. I'm trying to figure out where you're going with yeah, this Yeah, me too, reference. actually. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. A spoonful of the Pittsburgh Pirates helps a losing streak go away. Oh, I love it. Right? I'll come up with a song for you by the end of the show today, but that's the recipe. It's not necessary. You're in the midst You're in the midst of a losing streak, a game where things just go off the wall against the San Diego Padres, and you're thinking, oh, boy, here's the collapse, right? Like, I was waiting for the text line yet on Monday to be like, oh, Ferrario and BK, you're talking about how great the Cardinals are. What happens now? Then you go against the Pirates, and then it's snap right back into reality. And that comes from the offense. We'll get to the pitching side of it, but for me, the offense was the impressive part. I don't care that it was the Pirates. Edmundo Soso, who we have been just throwing shade at all season. Don't say we. No, you that's have Tanner. to. No, you oh, have oh, to. Oh, hey, not me. Yeah, no. You're the one who came up with Soso. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You did send us a picture of that in the, like before the season even began. True. Uh, Although I'm not a big on him either. No, I, you're I not. None of us are. But we've been shooting him down, and he comes through. We've been shooting Justin Williams down. He had a knock. Didn't he have a base hit? No, he was 0 for 4. Maybe four I was just trying yeah. to imagine that yeah. that, that happened. But <laughs> he was like the one guy that really had a rough night. Maybe I was just trying to imagine that Justin Williams tried to be better. Put it into reality. Harrison Bader, though. Yadier Molina. Tommy Edmund. All of these guys. That was a full effort. And offensively, that was impressive for me. It was great. Uh, and by the way, the stat you were looking for, Alex, Nolan Arenado leads all of baseball in the month of May with a 1250 OPS this month. He's batting 400 oh my God. since the start of the month. We are now 19 days in, so not too shabby by Nolan Arenado. You mentioned the offense. Let's also get to the pitching side of things because yes, that was let's. a big story as well. John Gant was really good last night. What was that, BK? John Gant was really good last night. Tanner, you want to say that? He was okay last oh, night. Credit where he it is due. Six. The big thing for him, and I've I've said this all along, when he's not walking, guys, I got no issues with John Gant. The problem had been in his first six starts of the season, he was walking everybody. He had the highest walk rate in all of baseball, one of the highest walk rates for a qualified pitcher in the history of baseball. You know, I've come to the conclusion that he's so good at baseball, he just likes a challenge. And hey, the I last, would too. In his last two starts, though, he's walked four guys in 10 and a third. Right, that'll he got, play. He, he got bored with the challenge. That, that'll that play. I, I can deal with that being my fifth starter in the rotation. And last night, I thought he was really good. So uh, credit where it is due. And now the Cardinals have a decision coming up because it sounds like, according to John Mosaloc, Miles Michaelis, Carlos Martinez could both be coming back soon. We were discussing our rotation earlier today. We have not finalized anything yet, but I would anticipate uh, both Miles and, and Carlos likely being added to the uh, uh, rotation 
by early, as early as this weekend or something into early next week. Okay, so that's fine. So you got both of them returning. You've got Flaherty, Wayno, Kim, Gant. That's six, though. What are you going to do with this five-man rotation? Since the Cubs series starts another 17 and 17, are you back to a six-man rotation for that particular stretch? I think that's something that we're entertaining for sure, and but not completely committed to, but feel... I feel that's pretty confident that's going to take place. But as always, we can adjust if necessary. Man, I thought that was going to be Mo again. And I'm like, damn, he sounds like Mike Schilt. No, that's Mike Schilt. (laughs) Yeah, it was Mike Schilt after the game last night. Cardinals are going to go to a six-man rotation. That's how this is going to work. It's the same thing that we saw previously, right? They had 17 games in 17 days. They went to a six-man rotation. Went pretty darn well for them. They're going back to this again. They've got 17 games in 17 days starting on Friday with the series against the Cubs. They're going to go to that six-man rotation. I think it's the right move. And the big question will then be after that stretch of games, who ends up missing out on the rotation? They'll probably have to take one guy out. I think it's going to be a competition between John Gant and Carlos Martinez to find out who gets that last spot. I think it's going to be a competition between those two and KK. Uh, And as much as I hate to say that because he's a lefty in your rotation, KK has kind of been the odd one out these last couple of games. Now, he's only allowed one and run, but if you look at it, I mean, he's kind of in the same John Gantt territory where he's not able to get out of the innings. He has not pitched six innings so far this year. That's actually really – for some reason, I just – yeah. didn't click with me that that was the case. Innings-wise, he's right there with John Gantt. And as similar as he is to John Gantt, I feel a lot more comfortable with John Gant on the mound than I do with KK on the mound right now. So it, I don't even think I'm putting Carlos into this competition. Carlos deserves to be in this rotation. He's been awesome this season. Don't don't scoff your face. He's awesome. The two guys that have been problematic for you have been KK and John Gant. John Gant, though, has one of the best DRAs in baseball, and hopefully he's finding his way through this walk situation. So as much as I don't like the six-man rotation, I'm fine with them doing that now. And I hope at the end of this 17 games that no injuries are apparent and that the best scenario is you put somebody in that bullpen, which could be KK, which strengthens the left side for you. I hadn't thought about that possibility. It makes some sense. But if you look at, I mean, it's it's an archaic stat, but it's, it's one we go off of for a reason. If you just go by ERA so far this year, Carlos Martinez is at a 4.3 on the season. John Gant's at a 2, and KK's at a 2.7. So it's no contest between those guys. Honestly, they're not taking this guy out of the rotation. They shouldn't. But the guy in the rotation right now with the worst ERA is actually Wayno. He's at a 4.6 on the season. And again, I'm not saying they should take him out of the rotation. They should not. He's been good. But um, just one way to look at things would be with the ERA. I would not take Carlos out. I'm with you. I think it's going to end up being John Gant. And I think he's going to be back in the rotation at some point. But I think he'll end up being the long reliever that they can use. Because right now, you look at some of the relievers, the usage that they have. Alex Reyes is on pace for 85 innings. I didn't think there was any way that they were going to get him to that 80 inning threshold. Well, so far they have. Cabrera is on pace for 81. And the one that's really concerning to me right now is... Giovanni Gallegos is on pace to throw 97 innings for the Cardinals this year. No, no reliever in baseball has thrown more innings so far this season than Giovanni Gallegos. It's something they're going to have to ease the workload on those guys for. And getting John Gann into that bullpen is one way I think they could probably do that. Yeah, and that makes your bullpen 
a lot better in my opinion because now you have Definitely. a guy that if your pitchers can't get through five innings you have a guy who can come in and get you through that and then carry over into the six to try and get you to Gallegos, Reyes, and then whomever you're going with there. Hopefully Hicks when he's healthy again. It's also great to bring in and like, I mean, I laugh at it because he's been in so many of these situations, but you got two on and one out. Who do you want to bring in? You're going to bring in the double play artist and John Gant because he's getting so many ground balls so far this year. So he's good for that situation as well. He could be a fireman for this do, team. Do you think when because I think Gant's going to ultimately get put in the bullpen. Do you think they're going to keep him stretched out, or you think they're going to go with the one-inning, two-inning kind of role? I think they're going to keep him stretched out. I think I you're going to see him go. When he comes into a game, it's going to be at least two innings. I agree. And more likely than not, I wouldn't be surprised to see him consistently go three innings. See, the thing that I, I find difficult then is what is Ponce's role? Don't Memphis. know that he has one. He can't go down. He's he's out of options, so I don't, I don't know if he has one. And if he does... It, it might be a one-inning reliever. Sounds like a great and honestly, piece for somebody. I, I think you should experiment with Ponce as a one-inning reliever. He's got he's he's a strikeout pitcher. He's got an electric fastball. We've seen him use it a did, lot. Remember when they did that with Tyler Lyons, though, as the closer? And Tyler Lyons was lights out for a season. Yeah. Maybe that could be, and I'm not saying he becomes the closer because they have somebody in the eighth and ninth, but maybe he can be a shutdown guy for you in the seventh. And maybe that gives Jordan Hicks another season to just get himself right. I would like to see one more guy added to the right side of things. I feel really good about both Alex Reyes and I, I Giovanni Gallegos right now. I had a trade candidate list. Are you I, buying in no. on No. Helsley's another guy that maybe you could add, but he still makes me Co- a little nervous. Cody Whitley's one that I think can step into that role. I think I would rather Ponce than Cody Whitley. I'm kind of done with your bullpen pitchers because <laughs> we put somebody in the circle of trust because you've been clamoring for it, and Ryan Helsley gave me, uh, what, like four runs up and like 18 no, walks in two games? No, that's not true. That's not even close. It's a brutal. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I've got a recommendation for Alex Ferrario that I think is going to make him excited about the Blues. Coming up next, though, TLR is coming under fire in Chicago. I got to get your guys' opinions on the way that he's handling a totally unforced error, in my opinion. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Oh, see now, he threw it, Mercedes. Look. That's from last night. Duffy threw at your mean Mercedes. The umpires are going to come in and talk it over. We had a feeling this might happen. Let's make sure none of these shenanigans continue because baseball is supposed to be fun, and why can't we just go ahead and play baseball? I drew a sinker, and I wasn't that suspicious. I'm suspicious somebody throws it somebody's head. And they're not suspicious. I don't have a problem with how twins handle that. So first of all, God bless Jason Bonetti. He's the play-by-play announcer for the Chicago White Sox. I, for my personal uh, beliefs on this thing. He's right in line with where I'm at. Like this is, this is such a silly controversy. The guy. So if you're, if you forgot, if you haven't heard about what's going on, um, the white Sox are in a little bit of hot water right now of their own doing. So the other day you had Mercedes, the designated hitter for the white Sox. He's fantastic. He's been great so far this year. The white Sox were up 15 to four against the twins. This was on Monday night. It's the ninth inning. The twins bring in a position player, to pitch. He's not as good as Matt Carpenter, but he's throwing 47 miles an hour. It's going right over the plate. So it's three. Oh, 
and Mercedes at the plate goes right over the plate. It's three. Oh, he gets the take sign. He doesn't take, he ends up swinging. He swings for the fences. He hits a home run. Didn't think much of it at the time. Honestly, Tony LaRusa comes out after the game and says, what you have probably heard by now, which is basically, Hey, he shouldn't be doing that. We don't, we don't condone that. That is not the right way to go about it. Blah, blah, blah. I loved his comment where he said he made a mistake. Ah, no, he didn't actually. I would say the pitcher made the mistake. So I don't have an issue with this. I think it's silly that this is even a controversy, honestly. Alex, Tanner, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this. Do you totally disagree with me? Where are you at on this situation with the White Sox swinging 3-0 up 15-4 against a position player? I totally disagree with TLR. And I, I have respect for TLR. He's a great baseball mind. And, I, and watching him when I was growing up, when he was managing those uh, early 2000s, the 2011 run especially, I, I disagree. You're out there. The moment you step on that field, you're out there to not – you're out there to just blow away your opponent. And if they're going to wave the white flag and put a position player out there to pitch, I'm out there to crush them. I want to hit the position player because I I think I heard it when the Cardinals are doing it. It's a lose-lose when you're a batter. You strike out to the guy you're going to be made fun of in the locker room. You get a hit. Nobody really cares because it's off a position player. The moment you step onto that field, you're out there to blow out that team. I don't care if it's 25 to nothing or if it's – uh, this situation where it was like 16 to four and a position players pitching. I do not care. You're out there to beat them. Uh, I, I played high school sports and I get it. It's a completely different scenario. <laughs> weird but, flex. You know, weird. Damn it. Um, but like when I played, when I played tennis, we would do what we would call, uh, intern or what were they called? Something matches with our teammates. And that's how we would determine kind of our lineup for the game. I, when I stepped over that line, we'd be friends after that, but I went out there trying to destroy my teammate. And one time my teammate... That's how I feel every day on this show. I'm destroying you guys. I'm sorry. I can't see, a de- I can't see the destroy mentality from Tanner Hendrickson. Can, can I, you? I, so, I actually can. I can't. Well, here, here's the one I'm referring to. So we, I played a buddy of mine, and we had a match, and he forgot to bring his water. We're teammates. We're at a match playing on the same team. I would let him you have some water. You deprived that man of water? I didn't give him water, and I, I beat him because I wore him down. Baseball, <laughs> it's kind of the same God. way. I, baseball, you step on that field, you're out there to kill that opponent. I don't care what it is. It, if Easy, it's 16 to 4, if it's 2 1, I don't care. You're out there to beat them. You're paid to beat them. You're paid to hit home runs. It's a position player. I do not care. It's a blowout. I do not care. All right. So, man, Tanner is fired up. So, I am on the side with you guys. Like, I, I let the man play. Like, come on, TLR. But let's play the devil's advocate here because I was thinking about this last night. I, I get what Tanner just said. You do. You go out there and you want to destroy. It's 15 to four. Like, what are we doing? Like, it's 15 to four. This game is done. And I can see where TLR was coming from. And this is where I was last night when I was thinking of this. This is his mindset. You brought him in. Now, I know Chicago didn't want him. The White Sox probably didn't want him. This was the, the owner that wanted TLR. Mm-hmm. But this is the guy that's your manager. And he's not. It's not like he's your manager, and you're the Pittsburgh Pirates right now, and you can't win a damn ball game. And that's the first one you won in eleven straight. And he hit a fifteen run or fifteen runs, and you hit a home run. You're the first place team in your division. You're one of the best teams in the game right now. So as much as you're going to get mad about that, that's his mindset. He's taken this mindset and he's created your team into the best team in the division. Well, they were already the most talented team by a pretty wide margin. But where did they finish division. last season? 
they were in the playoffs, right? I mean, they, they, but they, they weren't they the best team. To be MVP. fair, everybody made the playoffs. That's yeah. very true. The Royals almost made the playoffs. That's not accurate. <laughs> oh, okay. So but, they're not a real baseball team. I mean, they, they were they were a really good team previously. They had the American League MVP last season in Jose Abreu. They went thirty five and twenty five and were one game behind the Minnesota Twins. It's, they they had a better record last year than the Yankees, and they were one back of the Oakland A's, who had the third best record in the American League. Let's not act like they weren't a good team previously. They were. Um, I I hear what you're saying though, Alex. Like the the biggest thing to me, and we got this on the text line six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the five seven three. I think the issue is not that you should or shouldn't. It's that you're supposed to abide by what your manager says, and the manager put on a take sign. I get that completely. Yeah. Now. I don't think that it was necessary to put on a take sign in this situation. And Lance Lynn kind of talked about this a little bit after the game as well. He said, hey, if a position player is out there on the mound, the rules are thrown to the wayside. Let's get the damn game over with. And if you have a problem with whatever happened, then go ahead and put a pitcher out there. That's Lance Lynn, who is not going to be mistaken for a new school guy when it comes to baseball. He also said after the game last night, The more I play this game, the more those rules go away, and I frankly understand it. The way I see it is for position players on the mound, there are no rules. Let's get this over with, blah, 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 same thing. Um, But he also added, can't get mad when the position player is on the the field and a guy is taking a swing. That's where I kind of fall on this. BT always says it. If you don't like it, play better. And I thought it was interesting earlier today. I was listening to Carriker and Smallman and surprise, surprise me and Randy disagree on this situation. Um, But he did make the argument with Michelle Smallman that, hey, I don't like it when I see stuff like this. And he was making the argument of kids are watching and you want to see sportsmanship. Here's what it sounded like earlier today. Mercedes hits a home run and he's doing pirouettes as he circles the bases. Doesn't bother me at all. Okay. He's, so earned, that, he's earned that. He, and, he won and, that battle. He's earned that. And so nobody, there there should be no retribution to knock a guy who's standing over the plate to knock him off the plate. If you pitch inside, that's fine. If you hit, if you hit a guy, that's dangerous. I don't think that that's cool at all. Okay. Tonight, Adam Frazier hits a home run to break a tie in the seventh inning, and he stares down Flaherty as he's circling the bases. Jack Flaherty shouldn't respond. It depends on the situation, and that situation, I don't think he, I don't think that you really should be throwing yeah. at guys. Period. But. I do think that there's got to be a level of respect for the opponent. I think that's sportsmanship. I don't think we should completely throw sportsmanship out the window. I, I have no problem with a, hitting a home run. If if you're staring down the opposition, if you're taunting the opposition, I don't think that there's... See, I don't think there's ever a reason to throw at somebody. Like, I don't think there's ever a reason to do that. We've talked about that. Yeah, we've sure. gotten into this, and I'm with Michelle on that front. Like, I just think that's ridiculous, regardless if you taunt a home run or you hit a guy when it's 15-4. to four. But I do see where Randy's coming from there. It is kind of the sportsmanship, and I get it. That's the old-school mentality, and let the guys have fun, and I... I I love that. Like, give me that every day of the week. But if a team's up by four touchdowns in the NFL and then they score another one when there's two minutes left in the game because it's a, you know, it's a running situation to wear the clock down, but instead you're just going to give a Hail Mary because you know the defense is terrible. Aren't you a little sour towards that team? Stop me. Like, that that's yeah. the way that I've always viewed this, man. Like, if we're playing Little League, absolutely I'm with you. If you've got a Little League team oh. where one is just completely over against the other little league i'm telling my daughter just to just destroy the competition yeah, but in football, step on that dirt this would happen sometimes right in little league football you've got one team that's just clearly more talented than the other and they're up like 42 to 7 and it's the fourth quarter yeah just run the ball out like you, you take out your st- whatever you've got to do there's no need to run up that score basketball this happens a lot as well there's no need to run up the score in those situations this is the big leagues man 
Like, if you can't get me out, then, yeah, I'm going to score 30 against you. That's on you. That's a you problem. And so that's that's kind of the way I've always viewed this is I do think it's okay to differentiate between what needs to happen sportsmanship-wise to build people out of the kids that are playing Little League and what you're watching on the big league stage. And sometimes we'll get texts in that say, like, hey, but what do you tell the kids? Tell the kids that if you make the big leagues, you can do that. But until then, you abide by the rules of your coach. I I do not think that this has to be as difficult as sometimes we make it out to be. Uh, Should you show good sportsmanship? Yeah, of course you should. But if you're a major league athlete that's getting paid $30 million or whatever to play a sport, play a game, honestly... Like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's okay to showboat a little bit. If you want to do a pirouette around the bases, like go for it. If you want to, if you want to somersault all the way around the bases until you hit home plate again, I'm good with it. Whatever you got to do, whatever you want to do to make this a little bit more. The part that I don't agree with, and I hope Tony doesn't do this because it will be an uproar is if he does punish Mercedes for this. And I think he made that comment in his post game. Like, you know, he'll be punished for this. If you scratch this guy or basically say he's not playing in this game because of that, that's ridiculous and you shouldn't be in the game then, Tony, because that is not necessary. Regardless if he does that and it's sportsmanship and he didn't listen to your rules, he hit a home freaking run. If he did that and would have popped out on the warning track, then I get it. But like, if he punishes Mercedes for that... You're hurting the team, and I don't think Tony will be the manager throughout the rest of the season if that's the case. And that's my biggest thing is all of this was so easily avoidable. Yeah. Like, if you're Tony LaRussa, you can handle this, and you can disagree with what Mercedes did in that spot, and you can handle that internally. The problem with what he did here was not so much his view on it. Uh, whatever, right? Every manager is going to have something a little bit different in the way that they view the, these situations. There are a lot of people that view it the same way that Randy does, and that's perfectly acceptable. But reasonable minds can disagree. The problem was him going public with it yeah. and airing the dirty laundry of their of their clubhouse out in front of everybody. And so Tony LaRusso, who was not a popular hire in Chicago, has been roundly criticized both in the media and among fans, despite the fact that his team is one of the best in all of baseball so far this year. He's bringing criticism that is just totally unnecessary on himself and on his team by airing out all of this publicly. That is my biggest issue with this, much more so than what his actual take is on the situation. Real quick, someone just said, Alex, convenient that hockey allows policing themselves with fights, but you don't like pitchers policing. There's a complete difference with that. One, you have two sides that are willing participants in that. Nobody's just going to throw blindsided punches, and if they do, they're going to be suspended for it, and I don't agree with that. But there's no policing of throwing a 99-mile-an-hour fastball at a guy's head. We've already seen Bryce Harper get one to the face. We just saw Kevin Pillar have a bunch of contusions in his face because of a baseball. There's a complete difference between hockey guys fighting each other and policing games and going out there and throwing baseballs at somebody. And we say, well, throw it at their back. Well, you may not be able to react quick enough. Look at Paul Dion. He wasn't hit on purpose but he's out. He's on the I.O. because of a fractured rib. And what if you're going for a back and the ball gets up on you and it hits somebody in the face? You can control fights. You can't control a baseball coming at somebody at 99 miles an hour. Last thing on this for me, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. There's one other text that came in that said, Mercedes needs to earn his place in the game first. He's just a little kid. Man, Mercedes has been one of the best players in he's baseball so of the far year. this year. He's, he has an OPS nearing 1,000. We we talked in our first segment about how great Nolan Arenado has been so far this year, right? Mercedes has been better. Like, think about that for a second. How great has Nolan Arenado been? Now, imagine somebody that has been better so far this year at the plate. 
that's what your mean Mercedes has been so far this year for the Chicago White Sox. And so, no, he's not a baby. This is a guy that's in the MVP conversation a quarter of the way through the season. So if that dude is going to go out there, and by the way, these guys have history. The the position player that was going up against the White Sox in that spot, he grew up with Mercedes. They were guys that it would be like if, Alex, you had a good friend that grew up at Fox High School with you and you both made it to the big leagues and you were a position player. He was a position player as well. You grew up and then, boom, you're on the mound against him. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of bragging rights that are going to go one way or the other. And, and we've already it's seen it this year. a different situation. We've already seen it this year with Rizzo and Freeman. Yeah. Really close friends. Yeah. You know Freeman wanted to take Rizzo deep. And that they were laughing was about it. It was hilarious. Yeah. And Rizzo got the strikeout. So it, it's a it's a silly situation. Honestly, all of it is just a sideshow. Three months from now, none of us no. are going to be talking about this. This is just to spark conversation and spark some uproar. But it, it, the reason why I think it has become a conversation is because of how unnecessary it all was right. and why. Tony LaRusso, like, come on, man. We, we, we are all rooting for him here in St. Louis. He's not making it any easier on himself because of comments like this. Right. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. But coming up next, is it time for the Shoshenko oh, line? Oh, baby. At least one former Blues player says so. We'll tell you who next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Is it time for the Blues to go back to the Schwarzenko line? Jamie Rivers sure seems to think so. And he's going to tell you why right now. Maybe. Maybe Chief has to retool the lines a little bit, especially without David Perron. And does Chief entertain Braden Shen back in the middle with Schwartz and Tarasenko? Because that line has had some success. And so has Shen, Schwartz, and Kairou. Which, by the way, guys, last night, I know that line wasn't phenomenal, but they generated offense. Hoffman, Thomas, and Cairo, they were buzzing. They seemed like the only line that could run with the Avalanche. First of all, I'm disappointed in Jamie Rivers for not using the name that I have copyrighted, Chorshenko. Uh, very disappointed in him. And second of all, he's right. They were very productive because those guys put together a total of 70 points in the 15-16 season when they were on a line together. Chorshenko did? Chorshenko line. Yeah, but is that the same version no, of the no, Chorshenko line not. that we're watching it's right not. now? And yeah. look, I, I would be fine with them going back to it because you're putting Shen at the center position. But the problem is you got to have a full commitment from everyone, and it just doesn't seem like, at least from Craig Berube's perspective, that Tarasenko is in a 60-minute game right now. I mean, he had the comments after that uh, yesterday after watching the film of game number one, and he said, look, Tarasenko just stopped skating, and he's got to play a full 60 minutes. And he's not wrong. I mean, Tarasenko was all over the place in the first period, but as soon as he missed those opportunities to score those first two goals, he just kind of disappeared for the team. I, find my, I found myself sitting there saying, Boy, is he hurt because I haven't I haven't seen or heard his name in a really long time. Yeah, it's frustrating to watch because you see him at the beginning of the game. You're like, wow, look at the effects that he can have on a game when he's skating. And Baruby mentioned that, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later on. Like, if he just skates consistently, he can still be maybe not 100% of Laddie. Maybe we don't see that until next year. But 
70% of himself. Yeah. He, he could be a version of himself. And so far, like especially second, third period in game number one, he just wasn't that guy. He didn't have any impact on the game after the first period. So maybe it is a Shorshenko line that has to get that out of him. Maybe it is he needs two guys like Shin and Schwartz that will help him consistently keep the puck in the offensive zone. I don't know what it is. I will say this. I was surprised to hear Craig Berube yesterday at practice say he didn't think that Hoffman, Thomas, and Cairo had a very good game in game number one. He said that he didn't feel like they were initiating the offense enough. For me, I and who am I to disagree with Berube? I got more power to him, but I actually thought that was the only line that consistently generated offense against the Avalanche in game number one. So it sounds like that line is going to be broken up in some way. Hoffman was moved up uh, at practice yesterday in their rush lines, but... I would rather see those three kept together. You go with Schwarzenko, and then I guess that leaves Barbashev, and I don't know who you're putting on the right wing with Ryan O'Reilly, but that's that's kind of the leftovers that you would have for O'Reilly. Yeah, well, and let's just go down this road of Schwarzenko and Tarasenko, Schwarzenko being paired up with each other. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? You know Ryan O'Reilly's on your top center position, Braden Chen in the middle. Who's your next? Who's your third and fourth line centers? Because you have three options. Is it Barbashev? Is it Bozak? Or is it Robert Thomas. I would go Tom. I, I would keep that Hoffman Thomas Kyrou line together. They're not going to. No. It seems pretty clear that they're going away from the line that I would have there. I would go Hoffman Thomas Kyrou as my third line, and I would have Bozak as my fourth line center going into the game uh, tonight. I think what I would do is I would shift Robert Thomas to a wing position because I think he could be effective. With the line that I did like was the one that scored a goal. Barbashev, Thomas, and Kairou. I really liked that line. I thought that they were That's effective. That's what they went with yesterday at practice. I, and I think it's, it was effective because you have three very fast guys, and you got to have somebody who can forecheck. And if you go Hoffman, Thomas, Kairou, I don't know who's forechecking on that line. And I think Ivan Barbashev provides that presence for you. So if we're going to go with that line, let's just say hypothetically that's where it is. Uh, Robert Thomas on a wing, Jordan Kairou on a wing with Ivan Barbashev. I think that puts Mike Hoffman up on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly. And I'm under the assumption David Perron won't be back. So then your left winger on that one, you have a decision to make. Do you go Samford? Do you go Blay? I think I would go Blay because he seems to have found success on that line. Can you put Costin up there? I don't think I would. I think what I would do, and the reason I'm going down this road with you, BK, is I think I would have Bozak as my centerman on that bottom line, and I think I would have Costin on the right side, and I would have um, Kyle Clifford on my left because that's a fourth line that I could get behind. That's a fourth line that I think can be effective out there. So you've got Blay as your top, uh, top, top line, line left winger? Or top line left winger, yeah. So Blay O'Reilly, Hoffman, Schwartzchen, Tarasenko. Schwartzchenko, thank you very much, BK. By the way, you're allowed to use that just like Jamie Rivers is. Thanks, and man. everyone here on 101, because I'm, I'm working on the copyright with that. I appreciate um, that. Kairou, Barbashev, and Thomas, and then I'd go Clifford, Bozak, and Costin. I really would give Clem Costin an opportunity to play in this game because... So you're taking Sanford out, which we know they're not going to do. No, they're not going to do. Which but to be honest with you, we say that, but if I'm Craig Berube and I looked at that game and I say, okay, nobody gave me anything other than Jordan, Kyrou, Thomas, and Barbashev. So we need to do something. And I think I would, Craig Berube is notorious for going out there and making big time changes in the playoffs. Sammy Blay in game six against the Dallas Stars where he scored that slap shot goal, pulling Joel Edmondson out of the lineup against the Boston Bruins and putting Bortuzzo in. He's known to do things like this. I I think if I'm putting a youthful player in Clem Costin in, I think that gives me an advantage on the bottom line. But that's the problem right there. We're talking about fourth line players where you're top like seven minutes. Yeah, your top two lines are the problem. 
Schwartz-Shen, Tarasenko, Schwarzenko, that line needs to score for us to even be considering a fourth line change. So the thing with Clem Costin and the reason why I would go to him in game number two, and I, I'm not sure they're going to, I, I would probably lean towards no, He's not a savior, and that's that's an no. important distinction here. He's not a guy that's going to come in and immediately be the elixir that fixes everything that the Blues have going wrong, like the Pirates have been for the Cardinals. But he's physical. At least he gives you a presence in the lineup. You remember what you saw early on in the first period from the Blues? Mm-hmm. Like That's his game. Costin was the guy that led the Blues forwards and hits in each of the two games that he played against the Wild. He had six in one game. I think he had three in the second one. That's something he can bring to the table that I would like to see out there. You're not getting that right now from Zach Sanford. They had a, Jamie told the stat yesterday on the fast lane uh, in terms of like finishing checks. The guys were backing off of them far too often last night. So I, I would put him in the lineup. I don't think they're going to. I don't think there's any one thing that can be done that will change what we saw in game one. I do. I think it's moving Shen to the center position. I really think if you put Shen as your second line center, you're you're giving some identity to these lines. And I don't know how much it changes, but I do think it changes from what we saw in that game because there was no offense, BK. You had the first six minutes of game of the first period, you had about five minutes in the second period, and that's it. I think if you put Shen in the center position, I think that gives you an identity for a second line, and I think that gives you the opportunity to start a continuous four check and puck pressure. I hope that they are able to do that with Shin. I just, I don't know that any one thing is going to change things because as much as, so that maybe changes your second line, which is huge. It's important. You still got to figure out the defensive side of things too. Yeah. You know, when they get into the neutral zone, the avalanche do, you've got to have some kind of a presence to prevent McKinnon from just going straight down the middle of the ice at full speed. And that happened a million times in game number one. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot that needs to be fixed going into tonight's game. You will hear pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 8.30. My God, 9.30 puck drop between it's the right. Blues. I've had a pot of coffee avalanche. already. I, I may not be here for postgame. 65780 is the air comfort service. line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service sex line from the 314. Do you guys have any advice on how to make the recovery from wisdom teeth removal oh, go this. a little bit better. I got this. You got this? Yeah. How many teeth have you lost in your life? Oh, I feel like fair. Alex Sorry, is no, the go guy. Ahead. Have you had, when was when did you get them removed? Your high wisdom school. teeth? Oh, high school. I was going to say yeah. mine was, God, I think mine was when I was I like. I think mine was senior year. I think I was like 14 or 15 when oh, I had mine I got mine, mine out in college. I was 20, really? 20 years how old. How many did you have? I had all four taken out. Same. Oh, it was brutal. And fun story with that. My parents wanted to save a little money. So rather than putting me under, they told me to just man up and have it done while I'm awake. So they gave me the laughing gas and made my mouth numb. But there is nothing more painful than hearing a drill go through your mouth and watching the blood just come out. It was the first time I had ever gone under. And my God, those things were quick, man. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. See, I don't they even... count down from 10 and oh. it hit 8 and it's like, hello. I was done. See, Game I don't... over. That one wasn't as bad for me because I remember I had two surgeries prior to that. and Weird flex. They, it's not really a flex. <laughs> it wasn't fun on both of those. Uh, Tanner but I, still has his baby team. <laughs> get the, come on, text line. 
Seriously? Positivity. Sorry, come on with your story. Uh, but for me, I remember them giving me the laughing gas. I tell you what, that's good stuff, guys. Oh, yeah, that oh, stuff is good. Wow. I don't know if I saw two of the same nurse or Whoa. there were twins, but twins. Was- Twice of you. Well, because quite of my great. wisdom teeth problem, I uh, now will not have anything done with my teeth other than like a normal cleaning without me getting put under. So that's fair. Uh, to answer the question, though, to how do you handle that? Um, I would say a lot of rest and painkillers because those painkillers. I avoid the painkillers. I, oh, man. Those yep. painkillers are a godsend. Get a, uh, I don't remember what we bought, but we bought like a really long like ice pack that we, you just wrap around your face. That's that's the key. That's the key to success. Yeah, just sleep. Just sleep a lot. No, don't take don't those, do that. Take those painkillers. telling you. 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, I'm fascinated by Shohei Otani and how he can play two positions and be great. But I was wondering, if he only chose to play one position, would the Angels have him play... Um, a, as a position player or a pitcher, which do you think is more valuable to the Angels with what he's bringing to the table? Well, technically none of them right now because they're, what, below 500, like 15 and 25? I mean, he's amazing. But man. I would say, and I don't know his numbers in terms of pitching, but I would say his ever- best pitcher in baseball. So is he far? really? Yeah. Boy, I feel like his best attribute would be I feel like his best attribute would be as a as a position player. So in five starts this year, he has a 2.1 ERA. How the hell did nobody else try and get Shohei Otani? Well, a lot of teams did. Did they? Yeah. Did he just choose the Angels <laughs> Yeah. In? I don't remember hearing the Cardinals went after him. I think it was too much for them. <sighs> yeah. Great. I, I would say position player for Otani. I would Otani. say pitcher because they have no pitching. Yeah, but it's they every fifth bad. day compared to every day where you have the opportunity to hit a home run. I, I, would, I think they're pitching so bad they would choose to have him as a pitcher. I would go position player as well. He's leading the league in total bases. It's incredible. Is he a better player than Mike Trout right now? No. No. Mike Trout brings everything, right? Like He, he is. He can't so, does o, so does Otani. I, I know, but Mike Trout is the best. Pl- he's going to go down as one of the best players in the history of the sport. Okay, but right now, is Shohei Otani a better player for the Angels than Mike Trout? No. All right, I'm starting the petition to get both of them out of L.A. because they're not going to win there. It's no, really frustrating. And then Anthony Rendon's like, oh, hey, I'll <laughs> go there. That's a fun idea. Uh, he, I don't even know if he's really played. He's been injured a lot since he went to L.A. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, from the 618, guys facing the avalanche, it makes me wonder, does this series prove that the Blues need at least one more flashy goal scorer to be similar to the path of Nathan McKinnon? Well, there, there is no similar yeah. to Nathan <laughs> McKinnon. Mean, I mean, that, that guy doesn't exist, yeah. but there's there's nobody you can compare to Nathan. Nathan McKinnon is like a Connor McDavid. I mean, like you don't get that guy unless you're picking first overall. And it's rare that those guys are there when they're first overall. I mean, how many first overall busts have we seen in the last 20 years? So if you go player by player breakdown, there's nobody close to Nathan McKinnon. But the player that would be closest would be Ryan O'Reilly because he does everything on the. But from there, I mean, you, you have Miko Rantanen, who's incredible. But to me, David Perron's a Miko Rantanen. And Gabriel Landeskog, I mean, Braden Shen maybe, because both play very similar games. If you go player by player and break them down, the Blues have talent and depth. The problem is they're not doing it on the ice. Like Jordan Cairo is an elite goal scorer, and he will be an elite goal scorer. We've seen it. Robert Thomas is an elite centerman, but he just has not lived up to potential. Your top nine just has not given what they 
can in terms of potential on the ice. Yeah, uh, potential has to eventually turn into production. It does. And, and for a guy like Robert Thomas, I I have a really hard time saying he's elite right now in, to, in any capacity. Today, he's, to, I think he has the potential to yeah. be. This was a tough been. year for him, man. And, and I know injuries came into it, but this was a tough year because I think a lot of people were hoping he took that next step. We certainly were. Yeah. I mean, we talked to Craig Berube last offseason. He said he thinks he could be one of the best centermen in the league, right? Yeah. He, th- he thought he could be an elite centerman. He, he was not that. Uh, all right, final thing here. This comes from Pierre LeBron on Twitter. He tweets out, sources say some NHL teams are getting retested today after some inconsistencies in overnight COVID testing. The belief is that there was a lab error in some false positives. The hope is that can be cleared up by late afternoon. The belief is that it is affecting both some NHL and NBA teams right now. Again, that according to Pierre LeBron. Alex, do you think this could have any effects on, and this is all speculation, of course, but do you think this has any effect on David Perron? I do. Um, and this is a really interesting te- tweet from LeBron. And I know Elliot Friedman put it out as well uh, because there was nobody on the COVID protocol list as of yesterday at 5 p.m. The only players that were on it were Perron, Walker, and Jake Wallman. Um, so retesting because of that. Now, maybe there was some positives overnight. Sure. And we hadn't heard about them because they do them every day. But the part for me with David Perron, and I'm with Jeremy, who said it yesterday with us, Jeremy Rutherford, that this is so hard to do. And by no means does this mean he's got a positive or a false positive. But if you just go previous evidence, when Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay were positive, it was announced that they were positive. They believed it was a false positive and they would find out. Then they would say that. Same with Jake Wallman. Thought it was a false positive, had their statement. Then they came out and said, yeah, it was a positive. So he's out. The only thing the Blues players have been, or the Blues team has been saying is he is in COVID protocol. So that would make me believe that they truly think that this is a false positive and they are talking to the NHL about, hey, there's like no way that this is a positive. Look into this. I don't know if it affects David Perron because even if they come back and say like, hey, we looked into it, can you just play him? Is he with the team on the road trip right now? We don't know any of those things. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be joined by former Major League Manager Jeff Bannister. He was the 2015 AL Manager of the Year. Very curious to get his thoughts on the Tony Larusa situation out in Chicago. Coming up next, though, John Mozeliak made his first public comment about Albert Pujols since Pujols signed in L.A., And guys, it certainly didn't do anything to dispel the notion that Pujols could still eventually be a Cardinal. We'll let you hear that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we'll be joined by Jeff Bannister, former Rangers manager and 2015 AL manager of the year. Curious to get his thoughts on the Tony LaRusa situation up in Chicago. So we'll be joined by Jeff Bannister in about 10 minutes or so. But John Mosaloc yesterday talked to the media before the game, and it was the first time he was asked about Albert Pujols since Albert officially signed out in L.A. And Alex, yesterday I said, you said as well, we both think that Albert's going to be available again at some point because the roster situation is going to shift over the next month out in L.A. Hearing John Mosaloc talk before the game, it did not make me feel any differently about that. You know, obviously, um, when, when we first learned that Albert was potentially going to be available, um, from an internal standpoint, we did a, a lot of analysis on what that may or may not look like for 
our club. Um, in the end, we thought there are a lot of complicating factors on, on trying to make that work. I mean, clearly, the, the story of trying to bring him back um, would have had some very exciting uh, uh, narrative. But the reality of, of how much playing time and, and, and where that would, would fit in um, seemed to be very complicated for us at this time. I thought the last part there, Alex, is the most important piece of what you heard from John Mosaylock. So if we can replay this here in just a sec, John Mosaylock goes into this full long preamble of how they had conversations about it. They wanted to see what it would look like. And then at the end, he puts a disclaimer on everything that he has just said. But the reality of of how much playing time and and, and where that would, would fit in um, seemed to be very complicated for us at this time. At this time. I think that's a super important piece to what you're hearing. Every time that we have heard Bill DeWitt third or John Mosaylock or anybody associated with the Cardinals talk about Albert, there is the disclaimer of right now or at this time. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, because you keep the door open. It's what I did with Mr. 95%. You find a way to keep that door open and you always have next season. You've had Pujols come out and say that, look, I'm not ending my career anytime soon. I still feel like I can play. DH is in the league. Boom, there you go. Now you got a team to go to with a great storyline to it. We've talked about this season and who knows what's going to happen. I do believe that he's going to leave the Dodgers at some point when they get healthy, but maybe not. Maybe he stays there and they keep him around, but you always leave that door open. I just I just don't buy what he's saying. I just I I, I can't buy into John Mozeliak, Bill DeWitt sitting here and telling me that they like the roster as is. Because in terms of the bench, I think Albert Pujols is an upgrade of over at least three of those bats. And I just, in terms of getting a guy who has the threat on top of being a guy who can come away with big-time hits, it's going to benefit you in the long run. So I, I get right now you're not bringing him back, but I mean, I just, I don't buy into that, that Albert Pujols is not a better option than John Nagowski. Are you ready for a tinfoil theory? Are you taking tinfoil time? It's, it's tinfoil Ferrario. Oh baby. I forgot my tinfoil hat. We need to bring those next but time. With BK. Are you ready for this? Alex? Oh, wow. Let's hear it. Tanner. Do we have the open here? The new world order. 5G cell phone towers taking over the world. Microchips in your bloodstream. And Earth is actually flat. Ferrario, don't forget the tinfoil hat. Unfortunately, Alex forgot his tinfoil hat today. I'll bring him tomorrow. I've got a theory on this. I think I can tell you exactly how this went down. Oh. I think Albert Poole saw a situation with a winning organization that plans to do a lot of winning this season. And he saw an opportunity to start at first base regularly for the Dodgers over the next month. I bet you he had a conversation with them where he said, hey, you have an opening right now. This can be mutually beneficial for both of us. I can come start for you. I'll get my everyday opportunities. You will have somebody that's a little better than the options that you have currently. A month and a half from now, when you get Edwin Rios and Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger and AJ Pollock back off of the injured list, We'll reassess things. And if I, at that point, become a bench bat for you, maybe I explore my other options. And the Dodgers say, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense for us. You're better than our options right now at first base. Six weeks from now, we'll reevaluate where we're at once we're healthy with everybody else. And at that point in time, you're into, you know, late July, right before the trade deadline. Cardinals Cardinals are looking over. They're saying, you know, Lane Thomas hasn't quite been the guy that we thought he would be as a right-handed bat off of the bench. 
not getting a ton of production up here out of John Nagowski. We've got an injury here. You know who would make a lot of sense for us at the trade deadline? Send over some cash considerations to the Dodgers. Brad Miller. Let's go ahead and bring back Albert Pujols. Now that he no longer has everyday opportunities for the L.A. Dodgers. My tinfoil theory is this has already been mapped out. And why they're saying right now or at this time is because there will come a time, Alex, six weeks from now when it does make sense for the Cardinals to add one Albert Pujols. That's my tinfoil theory for you. That is a pretty damn good tinfoil theory right there, BK. I think I love he's going to end up on the Cardinals. Do you, do, would you like to be so courageous and say that 95% sure that Albert Pujols will be a Cardinal by the end of this season. 98%. Oh, my Whoa. God. He just he just 3% upped me. Yeah. You're Mr. 98% that Albert Pujols. I can't steal 95. You're Mr. 95%. That's true. That's true. You can't steal. I can I really, be Mr. 90. I kind of like 98 you, degrees, but with a percent. That's me. Did you just make a reference to a boy band that T-Bone doesn't know who the hell they are? That's correct. Yeah, who the hell are they? <laughs> take, take, take a seat. You'll figure that one out in just a bit. I like it, though. I think that that has been mapped out. Um, I, I just... I don't see the end of Albert Pujols' career being the L.A. Dodgers. I just don't believe that the Cardinals are completely out on this. I don't. I refuse to believe that they're like, you know what? Our bench, we love it right now. You look at those options for us, and there's just no way Albert Pujols can help us. I think Albert saw an opportunity to play every day, and he decided to take it. And I think eventually that opportunity with the Dodgers is going to wash up. It's not going to be there a month, six weeks, eight weeks from now. And so when that happens, and it will happen when they get healthy out in L.A., well, then he's going to look at other opportunities where, hey, what would you rather be, a bench bat for the Dodgers or a bench bat here in St. Louis? Let's be honest here. I think we all know the answer to that question for Albert Pujols. He'd rather be here in St. Louis. So I think that's the way that this story ends. I think he gets the storybook ending. I think he has a big moment here in St. Louis. I think he makes their playoff roster as a bench bat uh, for October. And then essentially he still is that player to be named later that the Cardinals acquired when they traded away Dexter Fowler. That is exactly right, man. Watch out T-Bone with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up next. Jeff Bannister was a uh, manager for the Rangers in 2015 when he won AL manager of the year. What does he think about Tony LaRusso's comments after that game yesterday? How would he have handled that situation? I'll ask Jeff Bannister that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So we do have some breaking news before we get to Jeff Bannister, former Rangers manager and a guy that spent 20 years coaching and managing in the Pirates system. But Alex, there's some big news for the Blues that we got to share with the audience first. Yeah, the Blues just released a statement and we mentioned the uh, Pierre Lebrun and Elliot Friedman tweet about them retesting and checking with the NHL. Doug Armstrong uh, just had the media um, uh a statement saying we've discovered discrepancies in COVID test results relating to multiple players. We've been in touch with and working with the league to address these discrepancies with additional testing and to expect to have a further information this afternoon. League will provide an update. We'll have more information later on today. 
So basically, I would fully anticipate. This is me speculating. I do not have any reporting on this, but my guess, Perron's going to play tonight. Well, and Jake Wallman probably come off the COVID list as well. So the, the big one there, David Perron, I would imagine, will be back for game two for the Blues, and we cannot understate the significance no. of that, both on the power play and now you've got that right wing right winger back with mm-hmm. uh, Ryan O'Reilly on that top line. So we'll get into more of that coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, very happy to be joined by Jeff Bannister, the former Rangers manager, 2015 AL manager of the year. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jeff, we appreciate the time today, man. How you doing? I'm doing awesome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out is because uh, you had the benefit of working with Mike Maddox as your pitching coach down in Texas. And uh, Cardinals fans have been able to watch the way that he's worked with this pitching staff over the last few years. Uh, What was your experience like with Mike Maddox? What is he like as a pitching coach? First of all, I I will tell you this, one of the best uh, pitching coaches in all of baseball, in my opinion. Uh, you know, obviously, first-year manager, uh, having uh, Mike as a pitching coach, I, I couldn't have been more pleased and happy. I mean, he's he's one of the guys, you know, when we, when we think about what we were able to do down the stretch, uh, just his his overall knowledge, experience, and, and how he handled those pitchers and information that he gave me and helped educate me uh, as a manager – uh, was paramount. Uh, listen, he has, he's a guy that is very in tune with, with every one of his pitchers, uh, what their needs are. Uh, he has the ability to, to communicate with them in, you know, ways that, uh, well, he understands where they're at. He has that experience, right? He's, he's been a pitcher, but he's been a long-term pitching coach and, um, just the ability to, to get these guys in a place to go out and perform. And then, uh, help help a manager make decisions along the way. That was the thing that I leaned on him the most was just, you know, as a guy in this in that role for the first time at the major league level, just uh, his overall experience. Uh, there were times that that I had to lean on him uh, a lot just in, in those in that decision making process. Jeff, what about his impact with the bullpen? And I know you were talking about pitching as a whole from the pitching manager's perspective, but we've seen him a lot this season where the pitchers get into a little bit of a jam with with runners on base or with a lot of walks. He comes out, he does his uh, patented double claw <laughs> on the shoulders with, with his pitchers, and it, it seems that they calm down and they find a way to get through the innings. How how important is it to have somebody who can do that? Well, it's 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 paramount, right? It's vital. Listen, the, you know, I asked him one time about, you know, the the uh, the hand on the shoulder, right? <laughs> and you know, one of the things he told me is, he said, "Look, Vanny, I can I can tell where their heart rate is at. You know, wow. what what do they need at that time?" And I'm like, I, I never thought of that, right? It's it's just that little simple move. But also, I think it's just it's the human touch, right? It's the ability to reach out and say, "Okay, you know what, guys, I'm here with you. Let's talk about this." Let's figure out what you need. This is what I'm seeing from the side. This is, this is what I have confidence in you having the ability to do. It's the, the ability to refocus, right? And that's the thing is a lot of these guys that get in these situations, that anxiety goes up, the heart rate goes up, and you need somebody to come out and either calm you down <laughs> or, or you might need somebody to come out there and, and, and kind of – redirect some real focus and, and, and some determination. But that's, I think what Mike has most of all is 
listen, he dives so deeply into his players and his pitchers that he understands who they are and what is necessary for that moment. He is, 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 is so much in tune with who they are as a person and a competitor. And then, he, you know, he pays attention. He can, he can dissect a, a group of hitters as good as anybody. I will argue that, you know, they, they gave the, when the league gave Mike analytic information, information that he already had, but it was at his disposal, it, he probably came, became more dangerous than having that type of information along with the instincts and aptitude and the experience that he's had as a pitching coach and a pitcher to go attack uh, other hitters. Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, from, from what I understand, you, you got really into the analytics or you, you learned a lot about the analytics, analytics early in the 2010s. Uh, what, was, what was it about the numbers that appealed to you? And then how did you, in, in Maddox in 2015, how, how did you guys disseminate that information to the players? Because I feel like for me, at least from the outside looking in, that would be the hard part is making sure that you don't overload the players with all of this information that you're getting from the front office. Right, right. Well, that's got to remember. This is again, and not to take anything away from from the intelligence of any single one human being. Right. I'll go back to, and it wasn't just a 2010. The Pirates were on the cutting edge back in the early 2000s, and then I was fortunate enough that I, when I married my wife, my father-in-law was a program engineer for for the original space shuttle program. He was a a, a decoder in the Philippines when he was in the service. And so, you know, we used to sit down and have kind con- and he was also a softball coach, a girl softball coach. <laughs> so he would, he would, you know, beat me to death with back in the day. It was with Bill James and, and, and the numbers and, and all. And so <clears throat> I became, and I grew up a math teacher's son. My mom was a math teacher. So doing that math equation in my head was always part of the process. And then to be able to translate that in the game of baseball and, in, in the competition and the confrontation between a a pitcher and a hitter and what that meant, then being a catcher trying to dissect, well, what can my pitcher do at any given moment to, to defeat this hitter in the batter's box. Right. And so I became really interested. Can we change the dynamic of a game through that type of process? Now, Fast forward to when Mike and I were together, there was, you know, the analytic process in Texas was, was pretty, pretty young at the time, right? It was, it was, they, we had an analytic department, but it was, it was not like what you would see in, in LA or Boston or Pittsburgh or New York, anything like that. So it was, it was a group of one really in the front office that were, would put together programs for us. The thing that we were able to do is that we were t- able to give our analytic department, kind of what we wanted, which was whether it was, you know, uh, pitch sequences, whether it was uh, below thresholds, whether it was angle of pitch, hot zones, cold zones, what we could get a guy to hit on the ground, what we could get a guy to swing and miss on, all these things, right? And so one of the things that we didn't do early on was try to just bombard a pitching staff that was quite, you know, it was a mix. It was a mix of younger guys and, and some, some experienced guys. I mean, we had Cole Hamels come into the mix, right? And here's a guy that was accomplished already and he knew what he was able to do, but yet we could give him 
a, a few tidbits about, you know, his cutter, where it worked most, how, how does his, his breaking ball play off his fastball? What do, you know, the swings and misses, but we would, we would give those guys small bits of information in a way that was practical that they could, could, could put in play, not just, you know, you get too scientific with some guys and, you know, it's still the art of athletics, right? You still have to be able to, okay, this is what I want to do. Now let's let the motor skill development that we've had over the course of time take over. You've got to be free and easy, clear of mind to execute. Now, that being said, you know, you can. You may, you guys made the statement that you can overload a player with too much information. Let's, let's take percentages, right, where said hitter goes to the plate and – He's going to face pitcher A, and he knows that, you know, 80% of the time this guy throws a breaking ball in this count, in this situation with runners at second base. Well, guess what? There's still a 20% of the time that that doesn't happen. Well, why doesn't it happen? That You start giving these guys too much information. Now, all of a sudden, they just become a guest hitter, and that's where you get these funny swings, right? Or you say, look, you got to go in on, on – uh, uh, or you got to you got to go in on Mike Trout to go down and away on certain situations. Well, guess what? Mike Trout might go look, look, best player on the planet. I'm I'm going up to the plate looking in. I blast that pitch in that I was looking for. Right. So it is you got to still maintain that organic feel and instincts of the game for your pitchers. Teach your pitchers to read the barrel. Teach your pitchers to read the you know where that hitter is in the box, what's the situation, things like that more so than the numbers. And so we tried to keep that as simple as we possibly could, but yet try to educate them so that they could think on their feet out on the field because you're not going to be able to sit out there with them all the time, right? You don't have an earpiece in their ear yet. Hmm. So, Jeff, on that front, you've been in the league since 2010 when you were with the Pirates. How have you seen the evolution of – analytics grow in baseball because a lot of teams obviously jumped into that without even looking, but there are other teams that felt like it's wild to get into analytics. Well, I, yeah, I, I think it's still, I, I think we're still learning about analytics and how they play and the human aspect of it all. Um, I think there are teams that have sold out to, to the, um, um, you know, understanding of what, you know, the projecting of a player, if you will, you know, the scouting of a player. I, I think analytics are great in, in scouting a player, what you think this player is going to be, how does he perform? Are there, can we look at some underlying numbers that, that tell us that, hey, a player is actually performing better than what his raw number tells us? And, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll confess to you this too, and I just, I just want to say this, that, you know, analytics, albeit everybody likes to think that they're new. They're not necessary. How we compile the information, how we can put this information in our programs, how it, it feeds back out to us to give us a projectable analysis of what should happen, right? Now, I learned under Chuck Tanner. I learned under Jim Leland. I learned from Tony La Russa. I learned, you know, and, and if you think about, Bill Verdon, these guys. And when I would sit down and, and have Chuck Tanner sitting on the bench with me as a young manager, he was talking in these terms back then. He just didn't have a computer 
to go program all this information. The computer was in his mind. He could recall things and situations that from the time that he was managing in, in Oakland, when he had a team that had 363 stolen base attempts, but yet still hit the ball out of the ballpark and struck out at a, at a high rate, right? And so all these things that, that come into play, I just, the evolution of analytics for me is this, have we become so dependent on, dependent on the numbers more so than what the instincts and aptitude of our own individual athletes. Athletes go into today to develop a motor skill. And they develop a motor skill to go perform on a athletic uh, court or field or track or on the ice. And they gather information that are going to help them be in a better place, understand what might happen, be better prepared for it, Right, but they still have to have the motor skill to be able to perform said move. Right, like let's take Rod Carew or or, or Tony Gwynn, who were great ball bat type individuals. They could they could you know they could put a barrel on just about anything and hit it just about anywhere on the field, but yet. You know, Tony still had the, the, the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, in today's world, we, we, we tell athletes, you know, you go get three A swings right now, but yet that has produced more strikeouts in the, in the game of baseball. We're sitting in an era in a year right now, what do we have, nine no-hitters, seven, yeah. eight, nine no-hitters? Six so far, it's crazy. Up, or whatever, uh, you know, and we're, we're just in May, Right. And, and there's so many factors that go into that, right? The, you know, information of pitching, hitters standing in the box looking to get their A swing off as opposed to using the, the pliability to put the ball in play to, to meet the demands of the game to win a baseball game. That's, that's where I think, you know, analytics has forgotten that there are certain demands on our game to help a team win that we have to really get back to. One of the things that, I cherished and studied so much was the St. Louis Cardinals growing up. And even as a young, young player, as a young manager, trying to sharpen my own, on, own ideas on, on what it meant to manage a baseball game of watching the Cardinal teams that how fundamentally sound they were, the things that they did out the mound in the batter's box uh, defensively, they never hurt themselves uh, at, at a high rate, they made less mistakes than the other team, which allowed them to win more baseball games. They were more aggressive on the base pass when they needed to be, and more reserved when they were in control of the team on uh, the game offensively. Right. So all those things came into play. And if you think about who is the grandfather of of St. Louis baseball, and they probably still use his his book today. I mean, Red is still in, instrumental in everything that the Cardinals do in their organization. So that's that's that my thoughts on on kind of the, the where analytics are in the game and how we play. 
Final question that I've got for Jeff Bannister. It's been a great conversation. Hugely appreciate you taking the time with us. Former Rangers manager. He spent 20 years coaching and managing in the Pirate system. Former big league player as well. Jeff Bannister joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jeff, you mentioned Tony La Russa, and I'm not sure how much you've been paying attention to the story over the last couple of days with Chicago, but their young designated hitter, your mean Mercedes, uh, he was down 3-0 in the count. It was the ninth inning of a game that Chicago was leading Minnesota 15 to four, I guess that ninth inning and and he's at the plate and the twins had a position player out on the mound who was down three Oh in the count. Mercedes ignored the take call. He ended up smashing a home run in that spot after the game. LaRusso was critical of him and said that it was a big mistake. It was a rookie mistake by him. Uh, he has doubled down on that statement. Some of the players have come out basically saying like, hey, it's a position player on the mound. Uh, those unwritten rules should be thrown out at that point. I'm curious, Jeff, when, when you're in a situation like that as a manager, how would you handle that situation afterwards when you're talking to the media about what had just taken place? Well, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you this. And I, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with the experience and, and the skins on the wall that Tony, Tony has, right? And, and, and so sure. that, uh, I'll put that aside. And w- w- just where I stand is that, you know, we we've make so much of these, unwritten rules <laughs> well there's only there's only one rule really is you, you go out to compete with an op, put yourself an opportunity to win a baseball game you're still competing guys this is a professional sport guys get paid for numbers they get you know at the end of the year there's not going to be a circle around that home run and say this one doesn't count because it came on a 3-0 count in a 15 nothing game um off a position player there, you know, guys, there's, you know, players come to the big leagues with the idea of, of surviving to the next day. And then they, they, if they survive long enough and they play well enough, then they get into this, well, I, I, I want to be able to stay here and contribute. And then as they're doing that, they say, okay, well, I want to make this long term and I want to be a champion. And so, Right now, you have a young guy that's just he's trying to survive. He's, he's trying to do everything he possibly can. As far as the media is concerned, one of the things that, that, that I personally I learned is, you know, my father was a high school football coach. I, you know, ch- again, I named long list of guys I learned from, and Tony was one of those. It's for me, I never wanted to kind of put the conversation that I felt I need to have with a player in the media. Now I know that fans in the media want full access. I just always felt like that if it's a conversation that I could have in, 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 in my office behind closed doors, let's have that conversation. Let's air that out there and then move on. Hey, everybody, if everybody thinks it's a mistake, it's, you know, what is, what is, what does a kid feel? It was, is it something that he felt it was a mistake or is he just, he's just playing the game. And so that whole – the other team is not – going. even though they put, put a position player out there, they're, they're still got – there's still major league talent on the field trying to play a game. I mean, if, if we weren't supposed to compete, let's just take them off the field and say it's a 10-run rule and move on. As long as you're out there and there are outs to be had and you've got to finish the game, they continue to compete. That's, that's just my take. 
Jeff, we appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you again soon because I enjoyed the heck out of this conversation. Thanks so much for the time. It's been great, guys. Enjoy your day. And uh, tell Maddox good luck. I love watching him. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. We will do that. Jeff, that is, uh, that is Jeff Bannister, former Rangers manager, 2015 AL manager of the year, joining us here on 101 ESPN. That last part that he said there where it's, uh, hey, if, if this is a conversation you can have internally, then, then keep it internal. I think that's where we're both at, Alex, yeah. is I, I disagree with Tony LaRusso on this as a whole. Like, I just, We fundamentally disagree on the way that you handle that situation. But the biggest disagreement, I think, is the way that you handle it within yeah. the media. Yeah. And him putting all of this out there publicly when it could have, in my opinion, at least been handled privately. That's that's my biggest thing. Yeah, you, you keep conversations that are private, private, and I don't think you, you, you expose those to the media, even if you are trying to make a statement. But his line that got me is exactly why I'm fine with what he did. Guys get paid for numbers. And if you're Yerman Mercedes, and right now you are the best rookie in the American League, your team is in first place solely, be, well, not solely, but a lot because of the offense that you've been providing, I'm not stopping that. Because Absolutely. one game where you try and lighten up on somebody, then that puts you in a funk, and the next thing you know, you're out of that race. With Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, we went a little long there, so we're going to skip the junk drawer today, but there's the breaking news for the Blues. It sounds like they might be able to get back uh, David Perron tonight. What does that mean for the lines? I'm going to ask Alex for his line combinations next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Blues released a statement, what, about 15 minutes ago now, basically saying something to the effect of, or I can just go ahead and read this, actually. <laughs> we have discovered discrepancies in COVID test results relating to multiple players. We have been in touch with and are working with the league to address these discrepancies with additional testing and expect to have further information later this afternoon. Bum, bum, bum. I'm glad you read that. I don't know how much closer you could Yeah, I mean, you could have, like, tried it. to, like, you know, make, like, you know, like, it sounds like this, but I don't know how close it would have been. That's a good point. Uh, the league will provide a further update when we have more information. Barubi and our players will not be available to the media until after tonight's game. That's really the part that uh, Alex yeah, cares about. That sucks. That our listeners care <laughs> about, some though. some audio for pregame. Discre- discrepancies in COVID test results relating to multiple players. That multiple players part is what I'm stuck on. Yeah. Because it feels to me like like the, my, my initial reaction was, oh, David Perron's going to be back tonight. Right. And then I see that multiple players part in the fact that it was the overnight testing. And I wonder, did something happen last night? Oh, yeah. damn it. Where it was guys that we have not heard about. It's not Jake Wallman. It's not David Perron. It's something else that has come up for the Blues. And they're like, there's no way. There's no way that's the case. And they're getting them retested to be able to find out, was this a false positive or are we losing more players? I don't know that to be the case. But as I continue to have more time to be able to kind of dive through this, that's where my head went now. Alex. Yeah. And look, remember, too, this isn't just the Blues because Elliot Friedman and Pierre Lebrun said there was another NHL team not related to this series that is going to have a statement at some point that are having the same problems. And it's been a problem in the NBA as well. Right. So this isn't just a situation that the Blues are going through. Look, it's hard for me to sit here. You never want to speculate when it comes to a COVID test with Perron, with Wallman, with anything like that. It's hard to sit here and say that, oh, well, this means David Perron's coming back. 
because he has been on this list for three days. And if there was a discrepancy, you would imagine he'd be off of it. Remember Sanford and Blay, the false positive was one day, and then they were off of it the next day practicing with the team. Perron hasn't been on the ice with these guys at all. You don't even know if he's with the team on the road trip. All Craig Berube has said is he is in COVID protocol. Like that's been his answer to legitimately everything. So the multiple players, you have multiple players on the COVID list right now for the Blues and Jake Wallman, David Perron, and Nathan Walker. But I'm with you. The fact that it talks about multiple discrepancies overnight makes me believe that there have been testings that have gone south in terms of, oh, well, these are positive. And it's like, no, how are these guys positive? Like, they've been on this road trip. They were negative before. They're in their hotel rooms because they've relaxed the protocols. But, like, the Blues are not relaxing their protocols. Craig Berube has talked about how they're going on the road and they're treating this the same way that they did um, pre-relaxed protocols where they can go out there. So I wouldn't be so quick to jump on that comment and say, ah, David Perron's back. Can I do that anyways, though? You can. There's always a possibility, I guess. So if Perron does return, whether it be tonight or on Friday night or on Sunday night, like at some point before game four, if he does return, Alex, and everybody else is healthy, what are your lines? I got to hear them because you know that it's going to change things up a little bit because suddenly Ryan O'Reilly has his line mate back again. So the ideal lines for Alex Ferrario if Perron returns is what? Oh, man, I'm getting excited here. So here's what it looks like if Perron is there. And again, okay. don't get too excited, but we're going down this hypothetical rabbit hole that BK just drug me down. My top line is Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and Mike Hoffman. Hoffman on the left side. I'm going two one-time threats with Ryan O'Reilly as my four-checker. I like that. O'Reilly, O'Reilly Hoffman, um, and Perron. The second line of course, the Shorshenko line. Thank you, Jamie Rivers, for throwing that possibility yeah. out there. I want to see if these guys can light some fire. Um, actually, that's not what I wrote down. That's not... You just psyched teased. yourself out. I just psyched myself out. I'm looking at my book over here without wow, well Perron. If Perron's not in the lineup, I'm going to the Shorshenko line. If Perron is in the lineup, it's the Cairo shen Schwartz line. The line that... Scored a goal that second-to-last game of the season, a line that had 29 points in the first 13 games of the regular season. I'm going back to those three. My third line is Robert Thomas on the left wing, Ivan Barbashev down the middle, and Vladimir Tarasenko on the right side. Flip Thomas and Barbashev however you may choose. If you want Barbie on the wing, Thomas in the center, doesn't matter. That's my third line. My fourth line would be Kyle Clifford, Tyler Bozak, Klim Kostin. So the two guys that would be out if Perron is there would be Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford. And I, I, I like that grouping. The only one I'm a little worried about is Hoffman with O'Reilly and Perron. But I think with O'Reilly and Perron, Hoffman will have success up there. So. Well, you don't like it. No, Sorry, I BK. do. I do like it. But I think that I would flip. Uh, don't flip anybody because it's a perfect one. I it's would go Shorshenko. Oh, you want Shorshenko? Yeah, I would go Shorshenko, and I would have Kyrou back with Thomas. Yeah, I, I think that they pair really well together. So um, I, I would. That's the way that I would go with that. I do like Hoffman, Ryan O'Reilly, Perron. <laughs> I think that it gives you a lot of offense. I don't know what that's going to look like defensively, yeah, but it's fine. Ryan O'Reilly's out there. So here's the problem. Ryan O'Reilly, we know that line. Whoever he is with is going to be matched up with McKinnon quite a bit. And so do I want Hoffman taking those reps? Do I want him going up against the top line? Or would I prefer to flip him with Barbashev, for example, 
And I know that that's the line that they wanted to break up. But now we've got Barbie O'Reilly Perron, and that makes a lot of sense going up against that top line for Colorado. Yeah, and then you're putting Thomas on the center position, but I don't like Hoffman and Tarasenko together. It would be ha- uh, Hoffman, oh, I'm sorry, Thomas, you put Kyra. Kyra down there. Yep. I just don't like that line. Okay. Just because defensively, and I know they're, that they if they score goals, it doesn't matter what they do defensively. But look, like if this was a home game, and the Blues had the final line change where they could get their matchups out there, I'd be fine with that. But because you're in Colorado, I'm thinking about the second period. I'm thinking about that long change with those three on the ice. Like Jared Bednar did a a magnificent job in game one of getting the avalanche game plan was very obvious. They would get the puck in. They would take a shot, a shot from the blue line. Bennington saves it. That's getting the face off. Bednar would go out there and make that line change. I would hate to see that happen on the road where you got Hoffman, Thomas, and Kyber out there and they're hemmed in their zone and then they can roll their first line out there real quick. So that's my only hesitancy with it. And I know you don't like Hoffman up against that top line. No, but, I do not. <laughs> but to me, to me, I Although go. he was better defensively in game one. That's right. And to me, I go player by player with that top line. Like O'Reilly and McKinnon, that's going to be your matchup, which I'm not too fond of because McKinnon's fast and O'Reilly. Excuse me, O'Reilly's not. But nobody on the Blues can match up with McKinnon. And and in their own zone, I like O'Reilly on McKinnon because he's he's magical when he's out there against an opponent. David Perron, I'd look at with Amico Ranton, and those two have very similar speeds and skills. And if I'm going Hoffman and Landeskog, okay, I can see that out and see that play themselves out. But I... I just don't like Hoffman, Thomas, and Kairou as a line right now against Colorado. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. I have multiple people very upset with me. What'd you do? Uh, from the 314. BK, thanks for making me be the guy who broke false news to my group text. From the 314. False news? I mean, BK it's just BKO'd Perron. Thanks a lot, man. Now I feel like the Blues are going to get swept. Great. Andy BKO'd Flaherty earlier. Yeah, he's going to yeah. get a no hitter tonight. Oh, my God. You did it again, man. Stop it. You're not supposed to say that. That's like me going on the air and say Bennington's going to get a shutout tonight. You think that's going to happen? No. <laughs> Neither do I. No, With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, <laughs> I'm Brandon now. Kiley. So fingers crossed, hopefully maybe the Blues could get David Perron back. Uh, more likely maybe is uh, they had a couple of guys that had a false positive last night. They are looking into discrepancies potentially with COVID test results. So hopefully everything is good with the blues. If we get any more information on this story, we'll certainly pass that along to you throughout the day here with us on uh, BK and Ferrario and then our afternoon show with uh, the fast lane. Real quick, what they're trying to, I think, to avoid would be getting more guys out and then having to cancel a game and then going back to back. So that's what I think. Yeah, we ain't doing that. Yeah, you're not. No, I'm not doing that. So, like, that's what I think the Blues are trying to avoid right now. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Guys, I'm running out of patience with Tyler O'Neill. Love the guy. What'd he do? Really wanted him to be the guy that we could count on. It just ain't happening. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And that is hammered into center at the wall. It is gone. Tyler O'Neill, three-run blast. Tyler O'Neill's had an objectively good season. He's had a good season. Take the word objectively out. That's a good thing.
Like, there is no, like, none of us can disagree with that. Well, I don't know what objectively means. There's no subjective means, so. value word? to it. It is objective. He's been really good this year. He's slugging the ball the way that we saw him in his first season up at the big leagues. Actually, his numbers right now are eerily similar to who he was the first time that we saw him come up. Just a little uh, less on the wa- or on the strikeout side of things, which is good. We're all very happy about that. The problem is there's also one other similarity to whenever he first came up. What? The injuries. <sighs> Tyler O'Neill was on the injured list five times between 2018 and 2019. He's already been on the IL twice this season with a strained groin and now with a fractured finger. Sorry that he plays to full capacity and goes all out every game. I like Tyler O'Neill. I think he's a valuable player to have on this Cardinals roster. I think that he is somebody that they should not give up on entirely. I think it's really hard for this team to be able to count on Tyler O'Neill as an everyday player and construct the roster as such when he is seemingly so injury prone, whether it be the injuries or him going through slumps. It is so hot and cold at all times with Tyler O'Neill that it is difficult for me. If I put my Mo bow tie on for you guys here for a second, it's it's difficult for me to construct a roster where I'm counting on him to be my everyday left fielder. And then you go into the season and for half of the year, most seasons, he's not available or he's going through a slump for half the season. So I guess the reason why I wanted to bring this up today is because yet again, they're going to be without him seemingly for the next week or two. I I, I think that it might be time at the deadline for them to look at acquiring an outfielder that they feel confident will be available for every game and can start as a starting caliber left fielder because I just don't know how anybody could possibly at this point say that about Tyler O'Neill every day. Uh, well, look, I mean, a lot of people you can say every day aren't going to be players because of injuries. It's hard for me to to bully Tyler O'Neill for this because of a finger contusion. I mean, he jammed it going into second base. Now but it's the, just it's it's the it's a trend with him. If it was a one off where it's a weird injury and it's fluky and it happens that it, that happens, right? Yadier Molina's had those where it's a fluky injury that happened every once. A, this is this is seven times over the course of three seasons, man. Yeah, but and I'm not disagreeing with you in the past because in the past it was it was like a shoulder strain, it was a hip flexor, it was a leg strain, like it was injuries where it was like, okay, what's going on with this guy? And the groin problem, I mean, that kind of is similar to those injuries of the past. But I know that he has uh, trained his training regimen in the off season to lose a little weight and be a little bit more. Um, Lean. Yeah, and flexible throughout the season. So hopefully you don't see more of those. But a finger contusion, I mean, like he jammed it going into second base. So if if I get more of the groin strains and the shoulder issues and the leg issues, then, yeah, I'm looking at this a little differently going, okay, well, this guy just can't stay healthy. What's going on here? But of a finger jam for 10 games, it's like, okay, that, that, that's one of those fluke things that happens. What so does you do the rest like of the you season? you count on him. I like, do. When you, when we get to July 31st and you can no longer make any outside acquisitions, you feel like from August 1st till whenever the postseason ends, uh, you feel like you can count on this guy to be an everyday starter for you with the Cardinals for right now. Yes. I'm if talking I, about for this season where you're, you're hoping to go win a World Series. This team's not fighting for just contention of making the playoffs anymore. When you added Nolan Arenado, and Wayno talked about this earlier today with the morning show, he said, hey, what made my decision for me to come back this year? Well, it was when they traded for that guy that's at third base for us right now because now we're a championship contender. That's how I'm viewing this is I would not feel comfortable 
counting every day on Tyler O'Neill to be my starter because when he's not out there, you've got Justin Williams or Austin Dean or Lane Thomas starting regularly for you, and those guys just aren't starting caliber outfielders in major in the major leagues right now. Yeah, but that's why I'm saying for right now, I'm I'm in on Tyler O'Neill, and I'm still okay with this because it's been one. It's been one injury that's been like the past, and then you get this finger contusion. If we get another one where another groin thing pops up, then yeah, before July 31st, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if I can count on this guy anymore. But for right now, I mean, since he came back from that groin injury, he has been one of their better hitters with Nolan Arenado and Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson. I mean, look, he's moved up into a five hole for this team. And because he jams his finger going into second base, I won't take him out for that. But if I see more problems in terms of injuries the rest of the season when he comes back, then, yeah, I might be looking at the trade deadline a little differently. I should clarify here, too. It's not just the injuries. Like, that's part of the story, right? It's also the inconsistencies as a player. He'll go from being a gold glove caliber defender to there's some weird misplays in the outfield. He'll go from smashing the ball for two weeks to a two-week stretch where he just can't seem to find the ball and he's striking out 60% of the time that he's walking up to the plate. And so it's it's all of that, right? It's all of that accumulating into one player where one day you feel really great about it, the next day you don't feel good about it at all that he's going to be out there playing for you. I like Tyler O'Neill. I have been very impressed with the way that he has turned things around offensively for him this season. But given the inconsistencies as a player and the inconsistencies with his health overall. That's why I'm not moving on from him on the roster. I think he's a valuable piece. I'm moving on from the belief that Tyler O'Neill is my answer, writing him in pin every day in left field. And and that's why at the deadline, I would want them to be aggressive and trying to go out there and find a left fielder. We talked about your Tanner top needs for this team at the deadline. I would have left field very high on my list right now. See, I, I don't think it's so much just left field. When I think of, a, I look at it and I say outfielder for sure, but a fourth outfielder. I don't think Justin Williams is a fourth outfielder. I get it. He's playing well off the bench, but in my mind, a fourth outfielder is someone that can hit off the bench. So check mark there for Justin Williams. Someone that if they do have to come in and start because of an injury, they can at least hold their own or can do that for just a short spurt before you get your guy back. Justin Williams hasn't been able to do that. Yeah. And then defensively, I want my fourth outfielder to be, Pretty de- decent somewhat in the outfield. Williams, I'll give him a check mark on that. But if he can't have a good spurt being a starter for, let's say, O'Neill's out two weeks, then he's not a good fourth outfielder for me. And I look at it and I say, I still have faith in Tyler O'Neill, even though, yes, he is streaky. I'm okay with that because he's going to hit a ton of home runs. He's going to hit 20 to 30 home runs. Each. Sure, he's going to strike out a lot. He's going to hit sixth, seventh in my order when we're completely healthy, and that's if Paul DeYoung's playing well, too. But I look at it and say that fourth outfielder we don't have, and that's where I would go add because I think Tyler O'Neill can be your everyday left fielder, but you just don't have someone that if needs to fill in for two weeks, you feel confident in. I don't feel confident in Justin Williams being in the lineup every day here in the next couple of days. Maybe that's the way that I should be phrasing this. You either need a starting left fielder or a guy that you think can be a starting left fielder if and when Tyler O'Neill is off, like out injury-wise, yeah. or when he's not hitting well. Yeah, you need better depth. Whatever it is, whichever whichever angle you want to go, if you need an upgrade over Tyler O'Neill or if you need a guy that when O'Neill is out is basically a starting caliber left fielder, I'm good with either of those two things. But that's what this team is missing right now because I do not feel confident when Justin Williams is out there as a starter. I like him as a fourth or fifth outfielder. I do not like him as a starter right now for this team. You saw it last night. He's just overmatched at the plate when he's getting consistent at bats and they've got a, a scouting report on him. When he's coming in for a a, a pinch hit opportunity and it's an advantageous situation for him, he's taken advantage of those. He's been been quite good in those scenarios. 
It's when he's a starter that he's getting exposed a little bit. So you need to upgrade that spot on the roster with somebody coming in, whether it be at at the deadline or sooner, sooner even than that, potentially. Yep. I agree with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So we do have a little bit of news coming in from blues morning. Yeah, skate. See if you, when you notice this, Lou Korak has said, and he, he writes about the blues for NHL.com among the notables that he is not seeing from in the press box in Colorado are Tarasenko and Jordan Bennington. <laughs> so I would say the possibility of Ville Husso versus the avalanche would demand uh some type of explanation from the NHL on the COVID lists. Maybe this is what they were looking into is, uh, I mean, I'm just piecing this stuff together, right? Same way anybody else is. speculation right now. But when you see that statement come out from Doug Armstrong earlier, where there were multiple inconsistencies with COVID testing overnight, and then you see this report from Luke Korak that Tarasenko and Bennington are not on the ice for morning skate, it makes you think maybe it has to do with both of those players and they are hopeful that those guys would be available tonight. And Alex... And they're also saying that Schwartz isn't out there either. Uh, somebody said that he was. Oh. I saw Luke that... Luke just tweeted and said not seeing Schwartz either out there. And he wasn't on the power play line rushes either. Oh, interesting. Um, that That is not great. Because I saw um, Peter Ball. Not great. For what it's worth. Yeah, I saw him say that he was on the bench, but... I mean, line rushes, he wasn't on the line rushes for the power play, and uh, Schwar- uh, Lou Korak saying that Schwartz isn't out there either. Interesting. So uh, it, sh- it sounds like Schwartz is there. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't think this is COVID-related for him. Maybe. So I I don't know what that and means on the his best part. part about all of this is we get to hear from the Blues talk in an hour. No, we do not. <laughs> Nobody is available to talk to the media today. Can't wait for the audio for pregame tonight. You are a factory of sadness! I know I am. I'm sorry. Oh, this is not great. This is not great. Guys, Huso's going to be fine if he has to Hey, Huso did look great and picked up the only shutout for the Blues in the regular season. Thank you. So, Some positivity. Can I make a statement that might be a little unpopular? Oh, boy. Yeah, it's not uncommon for you. But I ahead. hope Tarasenko's fine. I hope this is a, a negative test and it's uh, false positive. What If that is even what is, this is. Right? Whatever yeah. it is. I hope Tarasenko's fine. I hope he's in good health. I hope everything's good with him. I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world if Tarasenko's not on the ice for the Blues tonight. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Like, I in that first game, he had a really great first six minutes of the game. And then he disappeared. And there were multiple instances when he was on the ice that when he did reappear, it was because he, he wasn't skating in his own zone. Well, I'm not laughing at that statement. I'm laughing at the text we just got. It says it's not as if 91 was doing anything anyway. Yeah, I... I'm I'm one of Vladdy's biggest defenders, but it's it's hard for me to to defend the way that he played in the last whatever fifty minutes of that game on Monday night. Well, and Craig Berube said it too uh, yesterday during the media availability, and he said, "Look, he just stopped skating, and we didn't see him out there, and it was noticeable that he wasn't out there on the ice." And uh, Jeremy Rutherford had an awesome. Uh, article on the athletic earlier today and if you don't subscribe to it please do so because it's it's sensational information but he basically sent video clips of the blues game one to a former nhl defenseman curtis foster and he had a breakdown kind of what was going on and in that article they broke down the last two goals uh scored against the blues the first two scored in the third period and in both of those instances curtis foster Former NHL defenseman pulled out Vladimir Tarasenko taking bad routes to the puck, not being in front of the puck, kind of not defending the man. So when you're getting that from another player, from an outside perspective that's looking at Vladimir Tarasenko, you definitely need more from him. But absolutely, I, I will say having him on the ice is always a threat because the moment a team lets their guard down and says, oh, well, 91's not doing anything tonight, he scores two goals against you. Absolutely. 
don't disagree with anything you just said. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line um, to get involved in the show. Somebody says, who would you put in in replacement of Tarasenko? I mean, I would consider Blay, honestly, for that spot. Well, you got Costin, too. You've got Costin. Like, they, they do have other options. This is a deep roster, especially on the wing. I don't think you're getting significantly worse based on what we saw in game one. And, and I wish that wasn't the case. I hope Vladdy goes out there tonight and is awesome for the Blues. She just didn't play well in game number one. Yeah. So if if I've got an opportunity to get a hungry young player and Clem Costin, for example, that's going to go out there and forecheck and he's going to be uh, he's going to be a guy that's getting leading the team in hits again. I think that might give you more than what you saw from the last 54 minutes out of Vladimir Tarasenko in game number one. Yeah, hopefully everything's fine. Hopefully the Blues end up don't they don't have to worry about the any of this. That being said, like I said that about Tarasenko, if they're without Schwartz or Bennington tonight. <sighs> Uh, listen to this. Listen to this power play line. The second unit, according to Luke Korak, Thomas Barbashev, Sanford, Cairo, and Falk. That's a goal waiting to happen. It's going to be tough goal. if you don't have those guys. Yeah, I mean, eventually, it's just it's the year from hell. Yeah, this, is the way this it has goes, been. You know? it, it just yeah, it just might not be their year. Uh, hopefully, that's not the case though. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two options, we will tell you which one's more likely to happen. That's next on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is great. More likely to happen is the uh, the segment that we are doing here. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will join us coming up here in about ten minutes or so. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. More likely to happen. The Blues upset the top team in the league tonight, despite the possible COVID scratches. Or BK spends part of his honey-do list budget on tools to do it all by himself instead of hiring somebody else and overpaying. Well, this is an easy one. I don't even know if BK's ever spent money on tools before. My dad got me tools over the weekend. Did he? Yeah. That's your money. Did Did he show up with a screwdriver and said, son? You unscrew lefty screws with righty tidy. That's what he told this me. This is a hammer. Um, I'll go more likely to happen that the Blues Learned upset the top Learned what a wrench team. was over the yeah. weekend. Oh, yeah? It was great. Yeah. How did it feel to use it for the first time? Do <laughs> you think I used it? Okay, I mean, how did it feel to watch somebody use a wrench for the first it was time? Great. It was really cool. So good. it's cool because, like, they've got these new ones, Alex. I'll tell you all about yeah, them. Yeah, please, because I have no idea what you're talking so about. So you, you know how typically you have to, like, take it off while you maneuver the wrench to the left so that way you don't continue to loosen it while you're tightening things no they've got these new ones where it will allow you to go back to the left and then go to the right again without loosening anything what the hell are you talking you mean about? a socket wrench oh yeah yikes writer asked a good question in my ear do you know what a philip between difference between a philip and a flathead so that's a dumb question of course he does flathead is a shark uh no, phillips is a uh it's a hammer hand it's a hammerhead. oh Phil- really? Phillips is an Olympic swimmer who won gold medals. That's true as well. Good at the butterfly. That's very good with the butterfly. By the way, your statement about the wrench, I was really hoping you used another word other than wrench, like tool. Because, Hammer. Yeah, it would, <laughs> no, like tool, because it would have been fantastic with a with a end of the show cut. But 
regardless. Um, it, it was great, man. Uh, we had a really good time. To, to answer your question, though, yeah, I do have a bunch of toys now. Or toys. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. There it is. There it is. Tools now. Hey, Ryder, did you hear that? BK's got a lot of tools now. I got a bunch of tools now. Bedroom tools, kitchen tools. I think I know how to use like three of them. There's He got me this saw. Man, oh my I, God. I, I, I'm terrified. Literally, a saw is just a but it's a power saw. It's a power saw. Oh, that's even better. You just press a button. Yeah, I don't know, this man. This guy's going to come to work with BK's like three gonna, fingers one day. He's going to come in with like the far out sane sign because he's not trying to. <laughs> All right. 65780 is the air comfort service X slide for more likely to happen. Uh, more likely to happen first. Molina retires or a Cardinals pitcher throws a no hitter. Molina retires or a Cardinals pitcher throws a no-hitter. Teams suck at hitting now. Surely <laughs> it's going to be true. Cardinals throw a no-hitter. And you just called it earlier today, so I guess Jack Flaherty's going to have it, so I'll go with the pitcher. Yeah, it's Molina's the pitcher never retiring, guys. I have, I have, I fully have a feeling that he just goes straight from, like, player into manager role and is just considered a player still for the team. He, he rides himself in the lineup even though he yeah. claims he retired. Yeah, so yeah, more likely that a pitcher throws a no-hitter. Yeah, it's clearly yeah, Jack it's clear. Flaherty throwing a no-hitter tonight. We've talked about this a million times. I don't know how many times we have to mention it today, but Jack is throwing a no-hitter tonight against yeah. the Pittsburgh Pirates. Guys, people don't understand sarcasm. because people sarcasm. are no, I'm, no, I'm saying people are texting and saying, Alex, it's Phelps, not Phillips. Oh, come on. That's I, we know that. Well, and they also said that those wrenches have been around for a while. They have? Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. So sarcasm was not on BK side. Mine was. <laughs> Moving on. You thought I knew something more about That's this? That's true. That's true. Uh, six five. You continue to underestimate me and my lack of knowledge. <laughs> Maybe in you should try overestimating me. Six five seven eight zero is the Scott air comfort quote. service text line. More likely to happen: Yadi and Wayno return for the Cardinals next year, or Tarasenko and Hoffman both return with the Blues next year. Tarasenko and Hoffman back with the Blues. Yadi Wayno back with the cards. Which one's Yachty more likely? Yadi Wayno back with the cards because they're coming back with Pujols next year, baby. Woo! Yeah, it's that one, though. I, you, one, you're not going to get one of those guys back. Like, you can't afford to bring Tarasenko and Hoffman back. Tarasenko's already making seven and a half for the next two years with a no trade clause. Mike Hoffman's going to command somewhere between five and a half to six and a half million dollars. And on top of it, you got Jaden Schwartz to decide upon. So, yeah, I don't see both of those coming back. I think it's definitely likely that you'll see Wayno and Molina back next year. With Pujols. With Pujols! The Fidelity <laughs> Tour! <laughs> bow, 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 bow. I think it's more likely, likely Yachty and Wayno are back because I don't see them bringing back Hoffman, just like Alex said. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Hey, Beta Male BK, those wrenchers aren't new. They've been around for a while. Beta male. Beta male BK. What's that mean? Is that like a well, common alpha white girl? male is like the number one guy, right? The, the guy that's the leader. Yeah, yeah exactly. What? Beta male is the guy that's the follower. Then. Yeah, like you and Tanner. Well, certainly what? like me. I would not call Tanner a beta male. That seems a little He's just a disrespectful. Male. He's just a male. Um, I think that it is both Yachty and Wayno returning for the Cardinals yeah. as well. It's just, I, I don't see Hoffman being back with the Blues next year. It yeah. seems difficult for me. All right, I last... can't get over beta. The you're the alpha oh are you serious of course he is out of the three of us you think you're the alpha sure well certainly sure as hell not me <laughs> we, we all know that we've much. established that <laughs> six five seven eight oh zero comfort service sex line from the three one four more likely that the cards get swept in the first round of the playoffs or they make it to the world series swept in the first round or they make it to the world series which one's more likely tanner let's start with you my man 
Okay, so I'm trying to think of my playoff scenario. So I'm still going to assume Dodgers are going to be number one, which may be tough for them now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Padres might be. Padres might be too. Giants might be the way they're playing. Yeah, they're kind of falling off. Let's though. not get too crazy. Uh, let's see. So they're probably going to be, I would say, the two. So who's going to be three to be a team out of the NL Whoever East? Whoever is the East, yeah. Which I think is going to be the Braves. Why would the two be out of the NL East? Would the three would be because two would be uh, Cardinals. Two would be the Cardinals. Yeah. I'm going to say it's more likely the Cardinals get to the World Series because I don't see them getting swept. And if the Dodgers end up being like a three or a two, and you get them in the first round, the reason for that would be because they're not healthy. And they're probably still not healthy going into the postseason. They might be. Uh, but I still think you could win at least one game off the Dodgers. A Jack Flaherty start going against a Walker Bueller. Um, so, Bueller. yeah, I'll say more, whatever, more likely that they get to the World Series and they get swept in the first Bueller. round. Bueller. You know that movie reference? Yeah. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Thank God. Work. Yeah, I'm going to go World Series as well uh, because I do think you're going to see an L- NL East team against the Cardinals in the first round. Um, and, and I don't see a legitimate threat in the NL East for the Cardinals, even with the Braves. I think the Cardinals are the better team, especially in a five-game series where if Miles Michaelis performs well, I'm throwing out there Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, and Carlos K.K. Orueno. Um, so, yeah, I think World Series would be the more obvious pick. And Michaelis makes your lineup nine batters deep because That's he's mashing in Memphis. I'm going with the World Series as well. The longer the season goes, the more likely that feels for this Cardinals team. I mean, if they can if they can get the walks under control for the pitching side of things, and if they can find a con- consistent 5-6 in the lineup, suddenly you're going to feel really good about where this team is. You know, I, I love their one through four. I, I texted this to you guys last night. How do you compare when those get to the playoffs? They'll have the blank best one through four in the lineup. Like first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Where will they rank among the playoff teams in the National League with their one through four in the lineup? It's in play, in play, that they will have the best one through four in the NL postseason this year. I think so. The last time that was said about a Cardinals team was almost a decade ago. It was probably 2013. Maybe you have to go all the way back to 2011. So the fact that you can potentially say that about this team, it's going to be hard. Like the, the Dodgers and Padres, I get it. They're, they're both great in that that respect as well. That gives you a chance. So I'm going to go with the, it's more likely the Cardinals make the World Series than get swept in the first round. That seems unlikely to me. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to catch up with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I don't know. I I doubt he has a whole lot when it comes to the update for the Blues, but hopefully we can find out a little something on what's going on with Schwartz, Scandella, Bennington. Uh, What's the latest here? We'll talk to Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, we just finished playing a game of more likely to happen. We'll get to Chris Kerber here in just a second, but this came in right after the segment from the three one four. More likely to happen: Albert Pools ends the year with another World Series ring, or Tanner has a girl off of Tinder come back to his grandparents' house by the end of the regular season. Oh, definitely, Pools gets another ring, guys. <laughs> I would not no, bring a girl over to my grandparents' house. You got no confidence in yourself, do no, you? No, I have Which confidence. Which one's more likely just... to happen first: Tanner gets a ring, or Albert gets a ring? Tanner gets a wedding ring, or oh, Albert yeah. gets an actual World Series ring. <laughs> Pools gets a wedding ring. Yeah, that's not fair. Our win series win ring, not the wedding ring. Tanner's got the wedding ring. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Kerbs, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Hanging in, getting ready for tonight, fellas. You? Doing all right. So, I... 
I know you probably don't have any information here, but it is the question that I have to ask. Unfortunately, there was the statement that Doug Armstrong issued earlier today about the discrepancies in the COVID test results. And then uh, people that are out in Colorado, the reporters out there, including Luke Korak, have stated that Jaden Schwartz, Tarasenko, Bennington, not on the ice earlier today. Scandella not out there either. Uh, Any update on this front, um, Curves, anything that we can read into here? No, unfortunately, with us not being out there, I've got to rely on their reporting as to who was on the ice as well. Um, I, I think what you do know is you've got Pierre Lebrun. Uh, you do have uh, Elliot Friedman reporting things. And, th- and this is Pierre Lebrun's tweet from about two hours ago that says, sources say some NHL teams are getting retested today after some inconsistencies in overnight COVID testing. The belief is lab error slash false positives. The hope is that it's cleared up by late afternoon. Believe it's affecting both some NHL and NBA teams. These guys aren't putting it out there unless they've got those sources pretty much qualified. So what I'm reading into that, along with Doug Armstrong's statement, is uh, the Blues must be one of those teams where they're getting double-checked there. And I guess the only thing I can go to is, do you guys remember right towards the beginning of the NFL season, I don't know if it was the Jets or the Giants, but uh, some NFL teams were using a lab in New Jersey. And remember when they came back with yep. just an extraordinary number of, uh, of positive test results, which raises a flag here. Um, I do not know which members of this Blues team were vaccinated. I don't know where it sits in terms of who is fully vaccinated, meaning the two weeks out after that second shot, if you had the second shot, or two weeks out after the J&J, if you had that one. So don't know any of that. It is, it is cause for concern because if this was a normal situation, after the Blues already had the three positive tests over the last two weeks, there's a chance that you would have thought that the Blues would have been shut down for about a week or two based on the way we've seen this handled with every other team in the league. Now that it's the postseason and the schedule is a very different kind of in a go-no-go state, um, I think it changes things up here a little bit. So where we are at right now is simply this, and we don't have access to players or coaches either, and that's understandable at this point. What are they going to be able to tell us? Um, I, I think we're just in a... Holding pattern till this afternoon, see how some of those uh, test results get potentially cleared up and then move forward from there. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what that looks like. Curbs, in terms of personnel-wise, because we don't know what that looks like and because the the players today at practice could have been placeholders or they could be guys that are in the lineup, if all things work in the Blues' favor and they have the guys with the discrepancies playing, do you see any lineup changes for Craig Berube? I, I mean, yeah, you know what? Let's assume let's assume that everything is good. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay. going let's off assume, of game one's roster, would you change anything yeah, going okay. to game two? The problem is, the, the problem is, Alex, I don't really know what options that, that Craig Berube really has. You know, you're missing some offense. It's not like you're sitting there with a 15-20 goal scorer on the bench waiting to get in. You know, I mean, I, I just don't think you're looking at Clint Cost in that way at the moment. Um, you know, to me, to me, if there's a change to be made, it's putting Dakota Joshua in to maybe add a little more sandpaper and a little more kind of directness on the puck on that fourth line. Um, and, and then because the other question is, is if you're going to put take, let's just, I'm not sure who you take out in the top six when you need goal scoring. You know, if, if Terry Sanko can go, you got to play him. If Hoffman can go, you got to play him. If Thomas and Kyra look like there's nobody coming off the bench that can replace the offense that any one of them potentially have. 
And you can make that case, to be honest with you, for Sanford or Blay as well. So to me, maybe it's a little line juggling, but I don't know that he's got a whole lot of options. Now, you go out there in game two, and let's just assume that, again, you've got a healthy squad and you're able to play with that full regiment that at least you have out there. You know, and, and you end up losing game two, well, then maybe Costin's worth taking a crack on on somebody or, or Joshua at that point. I just That one's a tough one because you're just depleted uh, you know, beyond any real depth as it is. Would you give any consideration to Clem Costin? Well, like I said, I, I, I would. I would, but I don't know that I would before game three. And the only reason is, is I, I, I kind of want to see if there's a redemption game in these guys. These are the guys that got you to the dance. These are the guys that got you through this. COVID messed up season, a shortened season, you know, and, and look, you had a, you had a tie game going into the third period again. So I, I, I'm hesitant to do that for game two. I would look at doing it if things don't go your way in game after game two, but I, right now I'm still going with the people that uh, got me through the season. It curbs noticing in that game. And when things started to really get off for the blues in the third period was when they were trying to focus on laying the body check. I mean, you look at that two on zero possible or opportunity in the second period, that was two guys going for the check on the boards. Does Craig Berube's message to the players be like, look, you need the physicality. You need to finish your checks, but maybe don't focus so much on the hitting more than you are just the four checking. Well, Craig Berube's message to these guys has always been go through the body, but win the puck. Yeah, and then win the puck is always a real important part of uh, of that, and that, that just happened to be where two guys, uh, you know, two guys ended up, you know, stepping up on there, and, and and they didn't win the puck, you know, and so so that's that's the challenge there. Look, the Blues didn't do a very good job of breaking out of their own zone, and they fed directly into Colorado's game. They did. I mean, guy, I, I know we talked about it on our hits leading into the series. We talked about it on, you know, on the pregame show. If you don't break the puck out clean, you're going to feed the transition game, and then they've got numbers because you've got guys going the other way. And they, the Blues fed the transition game all game long. I mean, 85 shot attempts against is ridiculously high, you know, especially for a – you know, that's, that's the kind of numbers you might expect if they were playing, you know, the, the Detroit Red Wings right now or, or the Ottawa Senators or, you know, well, heck, Ottawa played pretty well down the stretch. But, but he, like, those are, those are like worst team in the league kind of numbers. And so – that's why you're hoping that there's a bit of anomaly and adjustment made just in terms of how the, the Blues approach it because you can – I just wouldn't expect to see that two games in a row. Curbs, if I'm a Blues fan watching tonight, we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN for just another couple of minutes. If I'm a Blues fan that turns on the game tonight, it's a late start, but I'm watching the beginning. Uh, what's something that you you hope to see from the Blues early on that would be a sign that they've corrected some of the things that went wrong in game one? Uh, I think I think two things for me. One would be bury one or two of your early chances. Blues are pretty decent at getting some early chances. You got to bury it. You know the problem was when they didn't bury it that they fed Colorado the other way, and then the Blues went nearly 14 minutes without a shot on goal in the first period. So, you know, I, I'd like to see one of those chances go in and uh, you know put some offensive pressure on Colorado. The other thing that I'm looking to, forward to seeing tonight is the power play. And if the adjustment's been made, it doesn't work with five left-handed shots and Tarasenko on that left wing, you know, whether, it, whether Tarasenko goes to net front or bottom of the uh, bottom of the right side, wherever it will be, you turn this power play around because you had one timer options and David Perron was on the left and with a right-handed shot and Hoffman was on the right with a left-handed shot. So whether it's Jordan Cairo, who has a right-handed shot, whether it's uh, Justin Falco has a right-handed shot, to me, I'd like to see one of those guys on that left wing on the power play because 
Colorado was just way too good, and uh, we were too slow on that left wing to make it to make the power play very effective. Curbs, also, you look at the uh, Philip Grubauer situation, and you know the Fastlane talked with Jamie McLennan a couple of days ago, and he said the scouting report on this guy is if you make a move post to post, and if you get bodies in front of him, he seems to have uh, less of effectiveness. Do you think the Blues can get into that game plan a little bit more? Because Colorado really found a way to keep the Blues at the perimeter. Well, they did, and one of the challenges with that is that that's pretty much a scouting report for a lot of goaltenders once you get them moving laterally. And Colorado just defends really well. I mean, look at that effort by Devon Taves on the wraparound from Hoffman. Yeah, I mean, that's Stanley Cup, that's Stanley Cup winning effort and luck that you're getting there, too. So, uh, you know, but, but on that play, to the point that you're making when you talk to, to Jamie McClendon there is, look, they, get, they got Grubauer moving on that one, didn't they? Yeah. And they got a move, and he slid right out of the net. So there is part of that, but they're going to have to crash the net a little bit harder. They're going to have to get to the inside. To do that, they're going to have to work some zone time. Colorado's sticks are really good. They're stick on puck. They're an extremely disciplined team. And look, the Blues are shorthanded offensively. You don't have David Perron, and Vladimir Tarasenko isn't going. Jaden Schwartz hasn't been firing the puck in. You know, you've got some offensively challenged players right now that, that increase the pressure on the St. Louis Blues. To do that, you're going to have to just put bodies in front of the net and try and get some ugly goals and see if you can break the guy a little bit. Hey, Curbs, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the call tonight. It's a late one for you guys. It is a pregame at 8.30 with Alex Ferrario. Puck drop with you and Joey Vitale coming up at 9.30. People can hear that right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. All the best, Curbs. Talk to you next week, my man. All right, guys. Have a good rest of the day. We'll see you, see you tonight. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him again coming up in about Eight hours from now. My God, these are late games. Perfect opportunity for me to go home. No responsibilities, no baby to deal with. I can go home, take a good nap before the game tonight. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to the crossover that's coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Late game tonight, pregame at 8.30, puck drop at 9.30. We'll see who's available. They're going to play the game. We'll see who's on the ice for the Blues. Sure, there will be plenty on that coming up from 2 to 6 today on the fast lane. Anthony Stalter in studio. What's going on, man? What up? How Not we too much. Doing well. Uh, we had a really great conversation earlier today with Jeff Bannister, the former Rangers manager. Yeah. Enjoyed the heck out of talking with him. He he had Mike Maddox on his staff. He was their pitching coach in 2015 in Texas. Um, and he had nothing but glowing remarks to say about uh, Mike Maddox. So if you missed any of that conversation, check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise over at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app as well. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when he said that Mike Maddox, a lot of times when he when he's given the, 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 the Vulcan their death grip on guys, he's actually testing their heart rate. Right. Which makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. See, see how freaked out the guy is. It's an analytic. Like, it's, yeah, the the spin rate, that's one thing. And then right. going out there, grabbing both shoulders and checking the heart rate. That's another analytic. At, at, what, point, at what point do it does, like, the, the pitching coach or the manager wheel out the heart rate monitor? <laughs> like, we got to get an edge here. You wheel out the heart rate monitor. Check the blood or, pressure. Yeah, I'm saying wheel. Like, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know what, you your wife would probably know. But. Yeah, hook up Fiance, the. We're not there yet. Well, you're getting there. 
You're Close living. Enough. You're living together now. Yeah. Uh, but you get the heart rate monitor. You get you get half these guys like you know trained to be a doctor. They go out there. They're testing things out. <laughs> yeah, he's going out there checking his. We got a blood pressure and his pulse. Exactly. Uh, Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, I think we got to settle people down about the the blues stuff here. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everybody's tweeting now. Oh, there's no. Marco Scandella, there's no Vladimir Tarasenko, there's no Jordan Bennington on morning skate. I'm glad you read my tweet. Tanner, you got to relax, man. Sorry. I tell him that every day. Jamie's got a very reasonable explanation for this. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be tuning in for that. Be tuning in for you and BT and Brad Barnes as well. That's all coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, hopefully talking about a big win for the Blues and a no-hitter for Jack Flaherty. All of that tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. Uh, We had a really good time. To to answer your question, though, yeah, I do have a bunch of toys now. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.